0: Everybody, and welcome to an episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host, Matt Bledsoe. And this week we are talking about Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Uh, to help me talk about it, I am joined once again by one of my favorite people to talk movies with. And I hope you do not have to pass through a wormhole to get here. Uh, it's Mark Warner. Mark, how you doing? <laughs>
1: do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against a dying of the light beautiful, beautiful. Oh, so I really I really <laughs> did not want to I wanted to just read it and not try a Michael Caine impersonation but that kind of took over at the end uh anyway yeah I'm doing good Matt I am thrilled to be here I, Yeah,
0: I know I, I figured you were excited we talked about doing this one for a while um and now we're doing it I'm excited uh and this was last minute uh kind of thing for you to help me out here so it works out for everybody you could talk about a movie you love we get an episode, so thank you again for jumping and doing this really quick.
1: Oh no, absolutely! Yeah, you got me like right when I was on a post Oppenheimer Nolan kick. So pretty much been doing nothing but watching Nolan movies all week, and uh, just kind of doing a little dig in on this movie. It's been a fun week, fun week of prep.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you're the I feel like you're the Nolan guy in the group. Uh, and I feel like you wear that proudly, and I'm I'm on Nolan <laughs> high too after after this and I'd re-watched Tenet which I liked more than the first time I saw Tenet yeah. um, <laughs> Oppenheimer blew me away uh no pun intended uh and <laughs> I uh and Interstellar and I feel like I thought did I watch another one I've been thinking about watching a bunch like I was like oh I gotta watch The Prestige I got you know, this this and that um so yeah I'm on know Nolan high so this is good um good timing so but yes before we get an Interstellar I know we're both excited but uh what have you seen lately you want to talk about
1: i can talk about a few things uh got a couple of things that'll actually tie into the episode but first i'll i'll quickly touch on it uh don't do a good job of keeping up with new releases but i made sure to uh go out on opening night to uh support china and watch the mig too
0: <laughs> it's good it's good they need they need your help
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, last year I said that Jurassic World Dominion was the single dumbest movie I've ever seen, and I kind of enjoyed it for that. Can't say that anymore, no, (laughs) because it has been superseded by Ben Wheatley's, yes, that Ben Wheatley, The Meg Two. Jesus Christ, man. I try not to overhype how uh, crazy movies get or how dumb they are, but this is literally just uh, the thing that I keep coming back to is it's just a sci-fi shark movie on a Hollywood budget. And I've always told myself that I would actually, I'd probably enjoy those sci-fi shark movies if they had any like value put into them. But I just, I can't get by the uh, Mm -hmm. like dollar store productions, but taking those ridiculous concepts, and then throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at him, uh, I ate it up. It was a good time.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. I uh, We talked a little beforehand. I had not got a chance to see the Meg 2 yet. Uh, the reviews were scathing at first. But now people like you, uh, Mike Scott, who else? A few people that I I do value your opinion have said they really enjoyed it. I'm more excited again. I'm like, I'll see the make two in a theater. I'm just, I'm behind on movies, new releases. So, uh, I, i still, and Ben Wheatley being the director still is one of the oddest cho- I don't think of him as like fun, big movie guy, you know, like he's smaller, darker, weirder type stuff, slower paced. I, I kind of think, um,
1: yeah, you know, that's part of his thing. I mean, partially, I don't think he's gotten the chance to direct something big. Like, he was attached to Tomb Raider 2 for a while, but then that fell through. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I think he's wanted to. I think he likes just being different. Because every one of his movies is wildly different from the ones that came before. Uh, that's true. Yeah. See, I've seen a handful. I've seen uh, A Field in England and Kill List. I didn't really care for either one of those. Uh, then I saw Free Fire, which I actually think was a blast. And then this, which I also thought was a blast, but in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. It also, yeah. I will say, I don't I don't know if I, it's not, the funny thing, it's not that well directed. <laughs> like there are a lot of uh-huh. times that I feel like it's a little sloppy, but I kind of feel like that adds to the sci-fi feel of the thing. Like, let me, let me tell you, I'll just quickly tell you the journey this movie takes kind of goes from <laughs> underwater adventure and he mm-hmm. gets some meg action in that gets some uh, crazy, uh, underwater creature action in that. What's that? Um, uh, there's that little, uh, there's that surface that they go below. And then there's a whole like prehistoric world that lives beneath there. I, the thermocline, that's what they call it. Oh, okay. Okay. And you get some no fun idea. stuff below there. <laughs> uh-huh. And then it, it just turns into a '90s action movie for a while, where like the oh. Meg occasionally pops up, but it's most more of uh, stay them and our heroes against these uh, kind of miners. Uh, I don't. I'm trying not to give too much away, but also it's the Meg, so like, why should I care about spoilers? <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, yeah they, I, but yeah, yeah but it's basically them going up against human bad guys, and then oh, the okay. third act uh-huh. is. It just goes off the rails and you get the trailers kind of give it away. You get Meg's, you get, uh, you get a giant octopus. You get a whole bunch of creatures thrown into this final act uh, that I was not expecting, but I enjoyed how uh, bananas it got. (laughs) So it is a very dumb, not particularly good movie. <laughs> but if you know what you're getting into, if you're into this sort of thing, as I am, I love a good underwater movie, then maybe seek it out. Okay, especially I'm... during the summer, like, you know, it's really hot outside, especially here in Texas. It's triple digits every day. Maybe not a bad idea to go into a nice, cool uh, movie that just like throws you in the water.
0: I, <laughs> I was kind of excited about it. It was like, oh, it's a big, dumb summer blockbuster uh it was like that feels like a fun throwback like it's not uh I mean it's a sequel but it's not like some IP based thing it's just this random well you know. <laughs> it kind of is oh it is okay
1: <laughs> I mean the, I'm, well I mean the Meg's based on a book it's not like a famous book but I mean now it's a sequel to the Meg so it might as well be IP
0: <laughs> I, I know there was a book attached to them okay well that changes things but uh I mean it just it, I looked at it and it felt like it just screamed like dumb summer blockbuster probably being like you said it's like out in the water and you know, at the beach, and all that. I'm like, hey, it seems fun. Um, know, I didn't Maracuda like the first Meg that in much the trailer, though, but oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, no, no, I didn't like it that much. Oh, do you like this, the Meg two, or the first Meg better? Could you say?
1: I, you know, I'm gonna be honest, they're kind of on par for me, okay, because <laughs> I think the first Meg, like when I said this one isn't that well made, I think the first Meg is a pretty decently made movie, so it's kind of a I like having like the, I don't it's tough to say because that one is well made, but there's not nearly as much like kind of crazy shark carnage. I just kind of like it as a, a middle of the ocean adventure, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of, it's prettier to look at because I think it is more well made. And then this one is more fun because it just goes off the rails. So I don't, they're kind of on par for me. Okay.
0: I, somehow I remembered this. I was like, wasn't the mag directed by John Turtletob? And I was right. Uh, who has one of the most interesting journeyman director careers. Because it's like, starts off with like three ninjas. Which is a movie I love. And like cool runnings. And it's a while you were sleeping. Phenomenon. The Kid. National Treasure. Both oh, he directed
1: Disney's The Kid? He did. Bruce Willis? <laughs> he did. I, I remember liking that movie
0: he's all in the meg out of nowhere like i felt like he was doing tv and then he came back with the meg so uh that's interesting um i will see the Meg too if i can in theaters i'm trying to make it a priority but um things have been busy but i'll go i'll go for some dumb fun it's fine um okay what else you got
1: (laughs) i got a couple that'll actually tie into the this week's episode uh watched a couple of uh Nolans, I guess the forgotten Nolans you would call them. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh so I watched one and then I rewatched one. This was actually the last Nolan I hadn't seen and that's uh following his debut film. Mm-hmm. Uh Neo Noir from 1998 I think. Sounds and, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been putting it off for so long. So I've actually attempted to watch it before and it just uh, it always seemed a little slow and a little boring even though it's only like an hour and 10 minutes long right (laughs) and yeah but i like he's my favorite director so i figured i just i had to watch it and i had a free day off from work and i was like i can kill an hour so i just i took a chance on it and i mean it's my least favorite film of his but that's partially because he's just operating with fewer resources like this is a it it feels like a student film you know like Mm -hmm. uh I don't know what the budget was, but it's really very uh, micro budget neo noir about a uh, guy who's an aspiring writer who to deal with his writer's block. He just kind of starts following people on the street and that kind of gets him into some uh, crazy shenanigans uh, when he meets this uh, mysterious man by the name of Cobb named Cobb sounds familiar oh,
0: to you uh-huh yeah yeah Inception yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah you can uh and he's playing around with structure so you can see a lot of things that he would uh play with on a much larger scale later but this kind of like Memento and uh Insomnia he started off just kind of playing with these uh really twisty neo-noirs and mm-hmm it's it's always interesting to contrast those with where he would go in his career and it's a uh, criterion put it out and uh i think i think it's kind of funny cuz i would imagine they'd want to put out some of his other films but they were all locked down by the other studios cuz they're really good sellers and so yeah. they slept <laughs> with the one the only one they could get their hands on <laughs> but it feels strangely appropriate for them cuz it's like the most you know it's the one you study. It's the one you look to to kind of understand uh, where he would go in his career. And see, it was a fast, fascinating, twisty little film. Kind of reminded me of uh, Bound. You know, the first film from Oh, Lichowski. yeah, yeah. Not nearly that polished, but kind of similar vibes.
0: Okay, yeah, it's the one. Nolan, I have not seen yet, and I almost watched it before this because I was like. Well, we're gonna be talking Nolan, and uh, I haven't seen that one. And it is really short, which is always appealing. I'm like, oh my god, an hour and ten minutes? Sign me up. Um, but I, I think I just knew I wasn't in the mood for a, uh, uh kind of low budget. Uh, I don't know what like Noir type thing. It was like it's, no. it's like
1: his it's like his Dark Star. Like if you've seen Dark Star, you kind of oh, know okay. the micro budget chinks you're gonna get from this mm-hmm. not nothing that extreme but you can tell that it was it was basically like a student film that they shot on weekends
0: okay interesting uh and it's it is tough I if it's his worst film but he's had so many great ones that it's like well yeah probably his low budget almost student film is probably not gonna be the uh one of your favorites
1: but it's so. still I I want to say like it's a good film like if you if I saw this like when I was at the heights of my uh, cinephile nature and I didn't really have any knowledge of who he was outside of this I just kind of stumbled upon this interesting little neo-noir mm-hmm. I'd probably love it and I'd probably be hyping it up like oh, have you heard this cool little movie following you gotta check it out man <laughs>
0: yeah no that makes sense I just uh yeah I will see I think it's on prime right now too so uh It was it was all the factors were there for me to watch it. And I still did not. But
1: (laughs) I would recommend uh, I would recommend picking up the Criterion because they actually have an interview that they uh, recorded with him. Uh, I think it was around the time Inception came out. And so he's um, you've got like the biggest filmmaker in the world willing to sit down and talk about his like humble beginnings. And I always like that. And he's always just such a fun guy to listen to talk.
0: Yeah, yeah uh all right i will check that out soon so uh what else you got
1: uh and then i rewatched the other sort of forgotten nolan which is insomnia Mm -hmm. which was his uh third film made between memento and batman begins and just remember remember when that was a thing when directors actually got like the uh the middle film like the kind of the not mega budgeted studio film but the studio film to prove their chops before they were handed the reins to uh (laughs) sorry if anyone out there doesn't know i'm kind of a little sick right now so my voice sounds a little scratchy that's why uh but yeah before they were handed the reins to a big studio movie they'd kind of have to prove themselves and this was kind of uh, nolan doing that Mm -hmm. and it's really good i have um like for the longest time, I didn't recognize how good it was. You know, I watched it around the time it came out because my parents were big fans. So I watched it with them when they rented it one night and I just didn't get it back then. And yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't really, I watched it a couple of times since then I didn't get it. And then I watched it about a couple of years ago when I was in my thirties. And I think this is a movie that really plays upon themes. You just don't get until you get older, like,
0: uh, and not being able to sleep,
1: yeah, yeah not <laughs> like, being able to sleep, guilt in particular, yeah, I mean, unless yeah. you're a very noble child, maybe you understand, <laughs> like, you really have a good grasp on guilt and you can understand oh. what he's going through. Uh, I was I was a really selfish child, so I, of course, I'm not gonna <laughs> understand that.
0: You weren't guilt ridden, a guilt ridden detective who doesn't <laughs> <insomnia>. me,
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's not, it's a very, like, it's a very it's not necessarily subtle but it's kind of a low-key movie compared to like other movies out there especially if you're watching them at that age but for anyone who doesn't know it's a remake of a Norwegian film starring Stellan Skarsgård uh this one has Al Pacino Robin Williams and Hilary Swank uh all doing some of the best work of their career for my opinion and it's about Al Pacino and Martin Donovan are big city L.A. cops. And they are flown to this remote town in Alaska called Nightmute to help the local police uh, solve a murder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for anyone, you know what, for anyone out there who doesn't really know the plot, you know, unlike Meg, too, I feel like this is one that kind of benefits from not knowing. So I'm not going to say everything that happens, but let's just say something happens that kind of causes uh Pacino to be racked with guilt and then uh the killer this is not a spoiler because it's a uh, revealed relatively quickly I mean you kind of figure it out watching the movie because he doesn't show up for a while and they even give it away in the trailer Robin Williams plays the killer and he's kinda, oh yeah yeah he's so chill have you seen it I
0: watched it for the first time, I think, last year or, or yeah, or sometime kind of recently. It, I liked it, but it's, I, I think, compared to other Nolan movies, it probably be near the bottom. But it's not a bad movie at all. It's very low key. I was thinking, I need to watch this again because, uh, yeah, I just think it's the first time it's not going to quite blow you away because it is so low key, but it's good. It's a good movie.
1: Oh, man. I know. I'm, I'm still struggling because I thought that it was like my least favorite, at least until I still thought i saw following but i have not stopped thinking about it since that rewatch I, it might actually be above a couple of his other films for me and that's that's saying something because that's pretty much a five-star filmography for me like i don't think there's a single film of his outside of uh following that i wouldn't give five stars well i thought insomnia was one but i'm constantly changing my mind on that it's i love it i love it anyway uh yeah Robin Williams plays the killer and he's kind of playing on his aw shucks personality, kind of, you know, grounded, nice guy that you meet on the street. (laughs) And um, just the way that this clashes with the things that he's doing in the movie is so interesting. And it just gets under your skin and he starts kind of playing mind games with Pacino because of the guilt that he's feeling. And just the way that this story develops, it's such a fun ride. And then, uh, Hillary Swank's playing this, like, uh, rookie cop. She's new to the force. She's, obs- she's like, she's idealistic. She got on the force to do some good and she's trying to do that. And she like worships Al Pacino cause he's kind of like a hero cop in LA. She did some, uh, research on him when she was at the Academy and she's just the way that she plays this, uh, rookie enthusiasm and how that kind of, uh, Develops throughout the movie. It's, it's again, it's so very interesting. I, I just, I love it. I love Insomnia. Haven't seen the original, kind of want to, but you know, I don't know. I'm of the belief that if you, uh, there are lots of movies in the world. If you feel, if you feel complete having seen one version of a movie, you don't have to see the original. That's probably a very controversial uh, statement. I apologize for the film purists out there but i've got a lot of movies i want to see i i honestly don't know if i'm ever gonna make time for the original insomnia
0: i understand but, i every time i on someone talk about the original insomnia they they say yeah not as good as the nolan one but you know interesting like, yeah every review i've ever seen Because i've actually podcast. heard uh yeah
1: I I don't I don't think I know anyone who's seen the original. I remember hearing one person talk about it and they said they liked it better than the Nolan one because oh. the Nolan film does one thing that, like, ruins it for them, but I can't remember what that was or who oh. said it.
0: All right, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> maybe it is worth checking out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I need to rewatch it because I watched it once and thought, this is good, but I think it'll get better on, um, like, a second watch because... I just think it's that kind of movie that kind of, I don't know, you got to just take some time and kind of let it sit almost or. Um...
1: Yeah. It's also another one you kind of have to be in the mood for. It's a really downbeat and depressing movie. Like, you know, Nolan Phil, I mean, some of his films are downbeat and depressing, but they usually have these like, you know, a lot of them are really exhilarating. Like you're, you're going to sit down for one of his Batman movies or inception. You're going to have a good time even mm-hmm. something like the prestige you're just gonna like that's just gonna be a twit. you're just in for a ride when you sit down for this is kind of a mundane depressing uh <laughs> serial killer movie mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. not really serial killer just a murder mystery he's only killed one person but well, that we know of
0: <laughs> that we know of um all right well I got to rewatch Insomnia and finally watch Following. So, uh... also, I'll <laughs> just
1: say I'm yeah. like I'm a big fan of like wintry, isolated, wintry settings in movies. Oh, I yeah. guess this isn't quite wintry. I think this is like spring or summer in Alaska because that's when uh, the sun never goes down. That's kind of uh, one of the hooks of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I just I know I love movies that are set in places like that, and so the setting for Insomnia might go a long way into how I feel about it. And if you like settings like that, probably you too.
0: Um, Yeah, no, that is, it was a good setting. I remember that. It was a cool uh, idea. So, um, okay. Anything else or? Uh, No, that's about it. Okay. My stuff is (laughs) like, I feel like way more random and not as good quality. I'm
1: excited. I like (laughs) random.
0: Not as good quality as what you just went over. Um, Okay. First thing, I had rented think digitally because it was like a dollar or something. Um, a movie I wanted to see in theaters that took forever to come out. I never thought it was going to come out. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, Operation Fortune Ruse de, Ruse de Gary. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> Green, I, I think
1: Ruse de guerre. Uh Ruse de guerre. Okay, yeah, There we go.
0: That sounds better. I was I said.
1: one of the uh, five people that saw that in theaters. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I wanted to because I saw the trailer for like, it felt like years and then it got uh pulled off the schedule indefinitely i think because i found the bags some bad guys so i think it's mentioned one time are ukrainian and that people they were like well and there was some other stuff too i'm sure but it, it's a very minor thing in the story i thought but um i thought it was very like middle of the road i don't know use the term mid it was like it was very like it seems so dismissive i thought it was very just like and it's mostly the story i think everybody's in the movies like bringing uh the effort you know (laughs) like statham is reliable as he always is i like statham um love Aubrey plaza i thought she might have been the best part of the movie uh but hugh grant's having fun in there it's like this rich guy and then josh hartnett we just talked about uh the oppenheimer barbenheimer podcast with Lindsay. josh hartnett really good i thought as like a kind of a movie star just kind of dragged in this whole thing um and but yeah the story i thought was a mess and i thought weirdly It was a very boring movie, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. There's just weird stuff. One thing that I just thought was the weirdest little touch was, like, Statham's trying to leave a place that he just stole information from, and he runs into two guys, and they do this thing where they cut away. Like, he's about to fight them, but then they cut away, and then they show him leaving. They don't show him fight him, but then they cut back minutes later to show you what happened, which usually when they do that trick, I feel like, you're gonna get some new information, or something will be revealed that he's hiding. But no, he just fights the guys like normal. I'm pretty sure. And then they go back again. I'm like, why did you pull that trick? Where it's like, oh, now we're gonna go back to that fight where this mysterious thing happened, but nothing really.
1: Matt, that's that, have you have you seen a Guy Ritchie movie? That's just what he does. I don't know. This like, I mean. Seem I I recently rewatched A Man From Uncle, a movie I love dearly, and he does that exact same thing. He'll like cut ahead and then he'll cut back to show you something that you already know happened. And it's like, I'm not sure exactly why you're showing it to us. So I think you just Guy Ritchie just has his weird tricks that he likes to employ in every movie. And that that didn't really bother me.
0: I don't know, just little, it was little stuff like that was the only example I can think of. Like, it's just weirdly put together, I, the plots all over the place. Uh, I just, I was like, I don't, by the end, I was like, I don't know, just end the movie. <laughs> it's not so mean, but I was like, all right, I don't know what's going on. I tap. I, but everybody in it is pretty much fun to watch, so um, that helped, uh, for sure. They thought it was, like, weirdly low energy. I loved a Man from, like, you know, just a couple years ago, and... I hear good things about the covenant, which I haven't seen yet. And then this one's in between. And I saw a lot of people kind of a mix on this one, but I don't know. I just didn't, did not really enjoy it that much, but um, you know, it's, it's fine. Probably it's not going to offend anyone. Um, Sounds like you liked it more than I did.
1: though. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed, it. I mean, it's not great. It's not top tier guy, Richie for me, but I had fun. I mean, it's not the greatest story in the world, but there's a lot of fun stuff that happens. I love the uh, dynamic among the cast. You're right; they're all fun. I love the element where um, Hartnett, uh, the, I forget exactly what is Hartnett doing, hanging out with Hugh Grant. Like, what's the uh, plot there? What's their they, plan?
0: They find out that Hugh Grant, uh, like, is any like movie star. He's kind of like a star hound. Like, he's this rich guy who like likes to meet movie stars, celebrities, and they like find out that he loves Josh Hartnett's, whatever the actor's name is. He loves that actor. So they, they rope him in and kind of, I basically blackmail him and say, we need you to get on like his yacht and you're going to go in there and like schmooze him and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, charm and win him over so we can get close to him. Cause all Plaza like pretends to be Hartnett's girlfriend. And so she's part of it too. And like, that sounds pretty funny but it's like i don't know it's just a weird movie i'm like it felt very disjointed the whole thing i, I don't know maybe it went back and forth on reshoots or editing when that, that i don't know the whole thing was kind of held off for two years but um
1: you know a theory yeah. i've come up with is i think that it was that was probably like the bones of a man from uncle sequel he, sequel he wanted to do and um, obviously yeah. he didn't uh, agree the sequel to that was never greenlit because it wasn't successful enough so I have the feeling that he just kind of reworked it into this separate spy movie because he just really wanted to go back into that world again.
0: Yeah, that that seems very plausible, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I just didn't really... It didn't do much for me. Um, and a movie I, I liked, actually way less, I think, than Uh-oh. Operation Fortune. Uh, I randomly... I don't know, what even gave me the idea? I watched Wolf with Jack Nicholson. Have you seen Wolf? Oh, man. Uh,
1: not since I was in, like, elementary school
0: <laughs> i remember hearing about it as a kid and like i don't know, seeing the cover of the vhs a lot and and I, you know and i kind of was like oh i gotta see that movie someday and uh god i did not like this movie <laughs> really did i was like this is painful i was like i, I was like i felt bad because i'm always somebody who's like they should make more movies for adults these days like the 50 60 billion dollar adult you kind of but I'm like, not like this, not like Wolf, because uh it's <laughs> Mike Nichols who has a pretty good career, but he's not a horror guy by any
1: means. Fun fact, and... I have a I'm not a Mike Nichols like stand by anyway, but I happen to have a Mike Nichols DVD sitting right next to the computer I'm talking to you on. Oh,
0: I, I'm not seeing Working Girl. I've not seen Working Girl yet. But Mike Nichols has like a good resume, but I think he's the wrong guy to do a horror movie. I, I'm. Not, it's so bizarre because I don't even know. It doesn't want to commit to being a horror movie. Does it want to commit to being funny? Does it want to really commit to, I guess, a drama? I mean, as yes, it is a drama, but like, uh, it's weird. It's just a very like, I was like, this movie will not end. I felt like I was watching it for seven hours. It's only two hours long. <laughs> like, And it's so stacked with talented people. Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, James Spader, um, Richard Jenkins, Christopher Plummer. A bunch of other people show up like um, I just thought it was so boring. And it's like, good Lord, like commit to making a horror movie. I think this came up in the wake of like Coppola's Dracula. And then other studios were like, oh, we can make like classier horror movies, you know. And like uh, so he gets bit by Daniels is built by a wolf and starts doing more dog like than wolf. <laughs> it's like wolf these <laughs> wolf like things. He pees on James Fader in the bathroom at one point. And it's weird too, because he gets bit by a wolf. That just sounds great. It's yeah. It's like, he's just like, I'm marking my territory. And, uh, it's, there's little funny stuff like that that pops up, but it's just like, then there's all this stuff about like, he works in like a publishing company, a book publisher. There's all this like behind the scenes drama with the job and James Fader trying to get his spot and all this stuff. And I'm like, I do not
1: care. (laughs) And like, see, that sounds like a Mike Nichols film. Like, uh, the uh, the stakes of the high powered corporate publishing world. Did someone notable write it by any chance? I think they did. Hang on, I'm looking.
0: Uh, I don't recognize these names off my head, but if I went, uh, Jim Harrison and Wesley Strick are the two writers.
1: Oh, never mind. I thought it might have had a, a celebrity writer attached to it, and that was kind of the uh, kind of uh, ground they normally covered, but nope, I uh, I'm I know the names, but they're not
0: celebrity (laughs) rise by each. This guy Wesley Strick has a pretty wild filmography. Uh, I've seen that name pop up a lot. I'm top of like first things I see: Arachnophobia, Cape Fear, Val Kilmer's The Saint. But then it gets into stuff like Doom with the Rock and Carl Urban, The Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh Uh, no! (laughs) So yeah, that's a. it's a weird filmography from that guy. But it's just, I don't think it ever finds a tone to stick with. I don't think it knows. I, I feel like Mike Nichols almost was quite uncomfortable with like the horror stuff or the there's good werewolf effects. Although it's weird because like he gets bit by a normal wolf, from what I can tell, not a werewolf uh <laughs> that you would think of. And I, you know, and then it's I don't know. I did not care for it. I was like, I almost turned it off, but I never turned a movie off. But I'm like, I'm just gonna stick it out. It'll get better. Um, it never really got bad. <laughs> but uh did not like wolf i think i'm an minority there but
1: um see that's just... funny because i um i don't know i i mean i pretty much liked everything that i saw when i was a kid but i can definitely remember like certain things that would uh every now and then i'd maybe watch something that i thought was boring but i remember really enjoying wolf when i was like 11 or 12 and that <laughs> does not seem like a movie exciting yeah. enough for an 11 or 12 maybe i was just excited that I was watching an R-rated horror movie. I was getting away with something. But even though I think I was just watching the TV version. So whatever. But (laughs) I don't know. I remember having a good time. I've been wanting to rewatch it. Uh I should probably get around to that at some point. I can always maybe I should uh, maybe (laughs) I I should (laughs) let the memory live in my head.
0: It felt like everybody in the movie had been giving been given like sleep medicine and was trying to wake up. Like it was like I felt like it's so low energy from the whole thing. And just very glacial it's paced like a glacier it's like oh my god this thing just will not get to the end um that's just me but <laughs> a movie that i think is objectively worse but i had way more fun watching oh
1: man you're just going oh oh sorry are you going rolling. down in quality or up because i don't know anymore. i think it's
0: up i think it's up i think the quality of this production it has to be worse than wolf because just it, wolf has all the talented people attached to it, it has more money but uh i really had fun with this movie it's ridiculous I have not seen I've oh, I have a okay, let me back up. Uh so they just finished up doing the Craven Craven series at this movie with uh Patrick and Heather Wixon, and I was like, oh, I still haven't seen some Wes Craven movies. And one that they kind of both talked about as being like his best of his he did a couple TV movies. The best of TV movies was Invitation to Hell. The Wes Craven movie called Invitation to Hell. Uh Is that I, the I, one
1: with Linda Blair or
0: No, that's called like Summer of Fear. This has got uh, okay. like uh robert urich and susan lucci who's a big soap opera star back in the day <laughs> and uh it does feel kind of cheap but also i'm like how do they get away with this on a tv movie there's some wild stuff that happens. so um it was very fun I'm like i don't think it's a very good movie but i thought it was very fun um so this guy uh robert urich plays this guy who moves to this town somewhere in like silicon valley in the 80s and he's working on this tech stuff and Moves this town. Everyone in the town is like, "You have gotta join the country club here. You gotta join the club." And he's like, "Okay, you guys are pushing us really." Like everybody talks to. He's like, "Go to the club." And and he's like, "They're being." Oh really- man, is this
1: one of those rich people or a secret evil cult who are gonna kill you? Movies. Kinda yeah. It's like, I like uh, I-, I like those. Those are always fun.
0: Yeah, it's also very distracting because watching the movie, uh, Robert York plays his character's name is Matthew, and Matt. So they kept saying my name and I kept looking up like what? I was like, oh right, <laughs> no, the movie. Um, but uh he's working on this tech stuff. Everybody's like, you got to join the country club. He doesn't want to, because they are being like weirdly pushy. He's talking to his wife, like everybody's on this fucking club. So it's like him and his wife and his two kids. And the Susan Lucci plays kind of, I guess the head of the club. They're amazing. First two minutes, amazing first two minutes, because like you just see a car driving up to the club and Susan Lucci gets hit by a car and the guy's like, oh shit. And then she just pops up behind the car. Like she's like the undertaker sitting up or something. And then like, puts her hand out and like blows the guy up basically <laughs> and oh my i'm God. like wow this movie's coming in hot and uh then it, it just gets so crazy by the end like we're where it goes i don't want to spoil exactly We pretty much
1: got what happens but um with like rich people and a cult and um it's kind of it that sounds like thing. a made for tv version of society but probably without the shunting <laughs> no yeah no shunting and in the invitation to help but uh yeah it's
0: I enjoyed it. It's really ridiculous, but it's, uh, it's not like it's plus current's best movie or anything, but but, uh, I no. watched some stuff that was a real, uh, no, no, I wouldn't have would, if I would declare it bad. It's like, it's best film. Um, no, there's, I just watched some stuff that dragged really bad, too, so I felt like Invitation to Hell was, like, a relief, because it was like, oh, my God, this is nice and snappy and fun, and, like, um, just gets to the point. Uh, so, I don't know. I enjoyed Invitation to Hell, and I only
1: have a few more favorite movies to watch now. I think I'll finish that up soon, but um, nice. Hey, you've sold me. I've always wanted to watch those TV movies of his.
0: Yeah, I can't speak. That yeah, I haven't seen the other two. One's called Chiller. One's called Summer of Fear. Haven't seen either one of those. Haven't seen Swamp Thing. Haven't seen Music of the Heart. And that may be it. There's, yeah, I haven't seen any of those. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Invitation Hell did not look great. I think I watched it on Peacock. And uh,
1: yeah, they have one of those like film rise transfers where it just looks like it's taken off a of VHS tape or something.
0: <laughs> Maybe a slightly better than that. Maybe not. I don't know. It's just, it's a TV movie, so I feel like they can only make it look so good. But, uh, it wasn't the worst, but it just, like, uh, it didn't look super great quality, but it's fine. It was it was a good time. So, um, I'll end on a positive note of my stuff and then we can talk about Interstellar now. <laughs> so, um. Okay. I know. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, Interstellar time uh I feel, like See, I feel like i
1: feel like i feel like i want to hear you talk about this first because your first experience with this has always interested me <laughs> oh yeah because usually like especially a movie like this i'm always obnoxious with the whole you really you like if you haven't seen it on a big screen you're missing out but like you have proven to me that that is complete bullshit
0: I would have loved to see it on a big screen. I don't know why I didn't go in 2014. Like I remember seeing the trailers for months on end um, and I like Christopher Nolan. So I don't know what the hell was going on 2014. That I didn't go see this in a theater, um, but I really wish I had, but now I've another story I've told many times, I believe uh and I can probably put, put it to bed after this episode, but uh, yeah, I saw it on TV. Uh, <laughs> like maybe, I don't know three or four years after it came out. Uh, and I was up very late. It was the middle of the night. I had like a really bad cold. And I was all hopped up on cold medicine and couldn't sleep. Cause I was, you know, you sleep on and off when you've got a cold, you're sick. So I was like up late cause I'd slept a bunch earlier day, And I felt like I was in like a different world, but it was completely, the lights were out, completely dark, Watch interstellar. Um, and I felt like I had some kind of like, uh borderline religious experience because <laughs> I felt like I was like you know I was like I'm in it like I was just so in it when I was watching it like I felt like I was so into everything that was happening. Um it felt like some a weird high probably the cold medicine again but I was such a unique viewing experience. Uh and I was like this was great. And I, for some reason I feel like I'd heard more not more, but I'd heard some negative stuff before about interstellar. And oh we'll I'd get watch- to
1: that. Don't worry. <laughs>
0: I watched it, and I was like, I don't understand. I was like, that movie was amazing. Like, uh, I it was emotional. It looked amazing. The score is great. Uh, the performances are really good. I'm like, it was so interesting. Even for being like, I, I feel like keeps intrigued for being all three hours of the movie. Like, it looks like a long movie, but I feel like it needs that time because it's telling this epic story. Um, so I was like blown away the first time I watched it. But then I thought to myself, ever since, like, I'm never going to be able to replicate that. That screening that personal one-on-one middle of the night hotball cold and screening i was like it was a magical viewing probably should do it again but then i'm on a nolan high and i watched it for only the second time like a week or two ago because i had i bought the 4k because i'm like i'm gonna rewatch it um and i'm like i don't know how it's gonna go this time and it still went i liked it basically the same uh i it didn't lose anything this time it did maybe there was a little bit of like I was so blown away the first time. So it lost a little bit of being blown away. Cause I'd seen it before, but um, that's it. I mean, that's, you know, you, you can't really replicate being like, Oh my God, I'm so blown with this movie, but I uh, thought it was just as good. I was actually, I found it even more emotional this time. We'll get into that. I'm sure. Uh, I, there was a couple parts where I just like, as soon as the scene started, I think as I kind of remember what was going to happen. I just started like crying. I'm not, a, not afraid to admit. I was like, God damn, this is really emotional. Um, And it really hits me for some reason Uh, while probably get all that, too. But it just it just the movie, I just think it works. And it's really incredible. And I I finished watching. I'm like, is it my favorite Nolan? But I could do that with a lot of Nolan movies (laughs) where I finish it and go, is that my favorite? It's very hard to pick, but um, it's up there. It's up there for me for sure. So, um, yeah, that was I've only seen it twice, both times at home, but I thought it looked great and it still played great.
1: That's just the power of a great movie, Matt. Like, it doesn't... I mean, especially with something like this as something as all-encompassing, as grand as this movie is, it's always going to have a bigger effect on you the first time because you're just kind of going to be swallowed up by it. Uh So, yeah, that's always going to kind of be lost in the second viewing because you'll know what to expect. But it's just... No, it is just a great movie all around. And, I mean, I would say it's my... uh on some day, it generally, it's my second favorite Nolan. Like I have my in my top five Nolans playing that. They'll probably be Inception, Interstellar, The Prestige, Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight. But every now and then, Interstellar might climb to the number one spot. Mm-hmm. I think that like I don't think it's as perfect as Inception, but I think there are moments in it that are even more perfect than Inception.
0: I could. I could agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) I can see that. No, I want to ask you now. Did you see this in IMAX when it came out? Oh, yeah. Of course. (laughs) I I uh, figured, yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: I am a... a, It's such a pejorative term, but I guess I I do qualify. I would call myself a Nolan bro. Like, I (laughs) worship the ground he walks on. I pretty much like my favorite director kind of tied with uh, Tarantino and the Coens. I see... With a couple of exceptions, I've seen, uh, like, starting with Batman Begins, I've seen everything of his on opening night or as close to opening night as I can. And, yeah, my friends and I went to the very first IMAX show here in Austin. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I was just like, like, I'm the, me and my friends, I'm the type of nerd that just gets goosebumps seeing his uh, production company logo, Syncopy like I, one of the nerdiest things in my life a friend and i a fellow nolan bro we went to see man of steel at midnight Uh and the sin copy logo came on and we like did a fist bump
0: (laughs) i love i love this nolan uh bro uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) i try not to be toxic about it and i i mean i you know what when i was in film school i was a little toxic i was always like everything he does is great like (laughs) how like I remember the summer of uh Dark Knight Rises and Avengers I was just always like I made that my personality Dark Knight Rises is a million times better than than Avengers how dare you say otherwise pretty sure I uh (laughs) definitely alienated some people back then ironically I feel worse about that now even though we have found out that the director of Avengers is pretty indefensible as a person,
0: well, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> this is true, but
1: that, but now you know what I mean. That was just uh, that was just a great time for movies. People like there were these two tent poles, one by like, I guess. I mean, I guess Joss Whedon's kind of in a tour, but he was more of a writer's tour than a director's tour. And then you've got. Christopher Nolan, they were both like in charge of the biggest movies of the year. So you know what? It was a good time. People had a great time at the movies in 2012. But anyway, we're not talking about that. I'm just trying to give a, uh, I guess I'm trying to apologize for my uh, obnoxious history of uh, Nolan Brewery. because I do feel, I do cringe when I think back how I uh, reacted towards the man back then. I mean, now I feel like I'm pretty healthy about it. But I still yeah. <laughs> like I still worship the ground he walks on, think he can do no wrong. Uh of course I can always be proven wrong in that department. I guess I was kind of proven wrong when he tried to get us going back to the movies in the middle of the pandemic. I will admit that was not the uh best <laughs> yeah. move on his part.
0: He may have uh he may have uh, what's the word? Um lost a little <laughs> like his sight on that one. I felt like he got a little too focused on like We've got to be seeing the theater. You got to go to the theater. It's like, okay, calm down, Calm, calm down, Chris. It's like, well, I mean, we if got... they had just delayed it. I don't know, seven, eight months or because I feel like by spring 2021, things were really starting to kick back into gear. They were still kind of this and that, but like August 2020 was still a real like, uh,
1: we didn't even know. have a vaccine yet. That's okay. Yeah. Look, Cause I'm thinking now... like,
0: 2021, at least the vaccine was coming out or in the spring. Yeah.
1: Look, I, uh, just, yeah. look, i'm i a weak man i went to see it i went to see Tenet on opening night i went in the middle of the pandemic i i had a great time do i was it a smart decision no it should he have released it then no but uh i'm a weak man and i uh even back then at the one of the darkest times in history i still uh worship the ground he walked on but i will admit he was uh I think we can all admit he wasn't right there. And <laughs> it kind of, unfortunately, kind of cost him his uh, relation. Well, that and the whole Max uh, HBO Max situation kind of cost him his oh, relationship yeah. with Warner Brothers. But I mean, he's on top of the world again. He's at a new studio. He made a hundred plus million dollar uh, biopic that's mostly talking that's already made over 400 million worldwide. So he seems to be doing good still anyway yeah, I... that was a hell of sorry that was a hell of a tangent for me to go on for my first time watching interstellar uh, <laughs> that's important information
0: talk... to know though yeah that's good
1: <laughs> so i um i was very um oh man i was also back then a little more influenced by maybe online film culture and the people mm-hmm. around me and mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk about certain plot developments in this movie that people kind of frowned upon and i might have let that get to me a little in fact I vividly remember, I was into this movie. I was on the hook, just like, I, like, one of the best things I'd ever seen. And then we get to Dr. Man. Uh, Hell hell of a reveal that was, by the way, like, opening night, even though it had apparently been announced that he was in the movie, and I had remembered hearing something about it, but I had completely forgotten about it until that point. And then, you get the whole twist with his character. And I'll admit, I was doing a little script watching when this happened. We're already a ways into this movie. And Dr. I, yeah, you say we're going to spoil Damon,
0: Interstellar if you haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it, I think it's most people of you probably have. But yeah,
1: it's one of the biggest movies of the past decade, at least in terms of cinephiles. It is.
0: And sorry, I'm going to go off on tangent really quick. It is apparently like a gigantic movie among. I think like Gen Z, like younger people, because it's like I follow people on Instagram to talk about this. Like there's so many like younger people on TikTok, especially when they're listing their favorite movies. Interstellar comes up constantly. And apparently it is also very popular in Letterboxd. Like I think this movie is like beloved, especially by like younger, like Gen Z people. Like um, that's 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 what I gather. I don't know if that's how accurate that is, but it seems like it's got this insane following where I think it's like a masterpiece. So yeah, you're not below. (laughs) I mean,
1: it's one of the most popular movies on Letterboxd. Like pretty much every movie by Nolan, except for uh, Insomnia and Following, and maybe his short films, has over a million views. And Interstellar, I think, is like just below Inception and The Dark Knight. And like, it's got like two and a half million views on there like it is one of the most watched movies on there and if you look at the ratings uh breakdown like the mm-hmm. bulk of them are fives so yeah people <laughs> yeah. adore interstellar and uh you know what i'm glad that it's resonating with the younger generation because hey you know i saw this movie when i was uh after i graduated from college maybe if i'd seen this when i was younger i would have gotten more interested in science <laughs> Was, maybe i'd be a completely different person by now but <laughs> alas anyway the uh the whole doctor man twist where he betrays them and tries to uh take this, i just remember thinking when i was watching we're already how long in this movie and now we're getting another complication is he just trying to make this movie go on as long as possible <laughs> and the funny thing was i didn't even have a problem with it i thought it was a great sequence and i was hooked but i just remember thinking like come on what like is he like do i really believe that this character would do this but that was a that was a very stupid complaint i admit it it's now like every time that i think it's so compelling anytime i get to that part in the movie i am hooked i actually wanted to time how long that sequence lasts from when he like turns on mcconaughey to when he uh when he uh, blows the airlock on the endurance, because mm-hmm. I am, I don't look away from the screen at all during that sequence every time I watch it.
0: I Yeah, it's very compelling. I, I, I mean, won't we'll get into this already, but I do think, I was thinking the second time, especially like what Matt Damon does, I'm like, this is a really dumb plan, isn't it? Like, he's a smart enough guy to know this is not a good plan, but I thought he might just have gone a little crazy and be a little desperate because of the situation he was in. So it's not like the most logical plan.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's kind of the whole uh, thesis of the movie: our need for connection with each other. And I think, like, yeah, he, they, and they also build him up by talking. uh, Was Doc uh, Brand talks about Doctor Man as being like the bravest of us, the greatest one, Mm -hmm. the one we all aspire to be. He led this mission, and he turns out to be the one sabotaging them all because. At the end of the day, he's no better than us. He just, like Doctor Brand, he just yearns for a connection, much like she yearns to be with uh, Doctor Edmonds. And this need for connection, just like how far that need can grasp, is kind of the whole thesis of the movie. And I was, I was, uh, I was a little too naive to grasp that at the time. <laughs> but it let me, let me, let me. Re- it is a very dumb plan. And like, yeah, when he. <laughs> Like, what did he think? How did he think people were going to react when he showed up back on Earth? And, like, did he think he was going to be embraced? Like, he should know people are going to frown on him and he's going to be the laughing stock of NASA and anyone who, well, I don't know. You know, it was a top secret mission. So maybe people wouldn't even know. No. Maybe he would, yeah. Maybe he would just find some people that had no idea what he'd done and he would be okay but like nasa the people that would have greeted him when he got back to earth would have had nothing but uh contempt for him
0: yeah i, did, I mean the little stuff about what they're trying to Yeah, he should know like they're yelling like hey the airlock and he's like ah like, you know, it's like it just seems like he's like ignoring I mean, all you know at
1: yeah. that point he is desperate at right, like right imagine you know what put yourself in his position you have been waiting on this planet for 20 years i think and you finally have a chance to get back to earth you are not going to let anything stop you i i think if you're as if you're as desperate as he is nothing is going to stop you and i'm like that moment god talk about just that's why i love nolan he's just the most cinematic filmmaker out there and he knows how to make things work and that whole sequence the like climax of it when uh Hathaway's talking on the uh speaker to him begging him not to open it and he's talking to her and then just mid speech the airlock blows you get that sudden burst of sound and then silence mm-hmm. it's good such effect. an amazing moment
0: <laughs> comes up a lot in oppenheimer i think too of like big like oh. like silence and then burst of noise and yeah uh it's it's yeah you know it's good it's very it's uh, very cinematic which is most of interstellar <laughs> it's like wow this looks good um i i guess we. well maybe we should go back back up to the beginning of the movie because i i if i had to pick it's almost three hours long and i feel like it's kind of broken up into the three different sections like almost each because the whole the opening i think for me is not bad but i think it's like the weakest part of the movie I, it, it's important to set the whole oh, thing yeah, there,
1: there's
0: a lot of set-up. i mean <laughs>
1: imagine like me you love movies set in space right and you are <laughs> like as good as that stuff is like you're going into interstellar because you want to see them go up into outer space so and then the stuff in outer space is so good it is so perfectly executed that once you're there you you can't even remember the stuff on earth it's like I, I i agree i think the stuff on earth is great but like it really comes alive when they go into outer space even though like maybe the, maybe the best performance in the movie after McConaughey is uh, Mackenzie Foy, who plays young Murph. Oh yeah, yeah. Like she's incredible.
0: She's really, really good. Yeah, no she she sells she sells a bunch of that stuff in the in the early part of the movie. Um, she's very like good one, at it. Yeah,
1: one of the best kid performances I've ever seen.
0: It's... I, i can i mean i can't i was like what are there? there's so many kid performances i'll I'll just go ahead and say it's great i don't know if i can can quantify it but i mean granted i i
1: i I, like i make that as like a a grand statement i haven't actually (laughs) gone through and like thought of the great kid performance right right. i can't i but the fact that it's like affecting me as much as it does makes me want to say that because i can't think of many like what you got henry thomas in et Haley joel Osmond sixth, sixth sense cent, like yeah. i would i would feel comfortable putting it up there with those okay
0: that's fair i just for some reason my brain's like we got to start ranking all of them but no yeah just the top of your head like <laughs> that's that's right uh she's really good she sells that emotion in the first part of the movie i feel really dumb because the first time around i didn't know who timothy chalamet was this time around i know I, who timothy chalamet is i, I still don't think didn't... anyone did I still didn't really clock who he was this time. And I know who Timothy Chalamet is. But then I looked, I was like, oh, that was Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) Like, I did not. uh, Because he
1: looks like, you know, he looks like a person and not a hipster icon. (laughs) Like, his hair isn't just like curled out to eternity. (laughs) Like, he just looks like an average, everyday uh, teenager.
0: Yeah, that's true. I just, yeah, this is so funny because this time I'm like, Again, I'm like, how did I miss him again? Like, I know him this time. Um, there was a very funny letterbox review that was like, someone was like, I what do they say? How did they phrase it? It was like, I want to open a court case. Like, how dare they? Or how dare they make Timothy Chalamet age into Casey Affleck or something? <laughs> like, it was like they were very upset about him becoming Casey Affleck. But, um, I I not yeah, I slowly recognize. him. like, oh, Timothy Chalamet. But yo, yeah, Mackenzie Foy is like the star of that part on earth the opening part of earth and uh i I love the ideas he's putting forward about what's going on like i mean it's scary to think about like the earth dying but then how they basically kind of abandon science and for the most part and nasa's like a underground like almost resistance movement uh in a way because everybody's like yeah we just need the farmers to grow more food like and they just give up it's such an interesting kind of uh place we find ourselves in and i'm like this seems plausible is the scary part i
1: mean yeah like uh i mean look, i am i am by no means up to date on what's going on in the world with nasa and space exploration like i don't like i'm i'm your average everyday person who just watches movies i keep up with the basics on the news but to my knowledge like nasa does not get a lot of funding anymore like they pretty much stopped all like yeah obviously we uh we haven't gone to the moon in decades and uh like yeah i've heard something about the uh international space station's gonna be retired eventually i don't know if there's any truth to that i feel like i might have heard that or something along those lines but yeah given how little we do focus on nasa in space like yeah i could easily see that happening if this were a uh if this were to really happen yeah which and you know like i can't like can't say that i completely blame them because like again this like this is fiction this is fiction where they actually have these worlds that they can go explore like as far as we know we have nothing to look towards in the cosmos that would house us if this planet dies Mm -hmm. and so like i could i can completely understand people seeing it as foolhardy to even try that but like I mean, this planet's not going to last forever, and even if it's foolhardy and doesn't go anywhere, like, the thought of just giving up on trying to find a possible other home out there, no matter how long it would take us to get there, uh, yeah, it's a little scary to think about all that
0: yeah no it's but again
1: like you know you've got you've only got so many resources in this world and you've also got to focus about focus on the people who are currently living here and uh yeah maybe uh space exploration would not be the focus but then there are a lot of questions that this movie raises and i i like i'll just go ahead and say it even like as foolish as it might be i am very much pro space exploration uh partially because i just think it's cool maybe yeah
0: <laughs> I mean, I am but I, do too. Have, yeah.
1: I do have that thought in the back of my mind. Like, I mean, you know, this planet's not going to last forever. And if there is the slightest chance of us finding somewhere out there to survive, we should definitely look into that. And that's I mean, I think that's part of why I like this movie so much, because that's very much what this movie is all about. Well, I mean, yes. it's not what it's all about. This movie is about <laughs> a lot of things. That's why it's as good as it is. But that's one of the things that it's about. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there is about a lot of things that I appreciate uh, and picked up even more on the second time. Um, I feel like I I don't know where to go. There's so many ways to go with this movie. But I thinking about the first I kind of mentioned the first part of the movie. I felt the movie for me both times uh, I remember, oh, this movie really starts to cook when they get to the water planet where time is all kind of, you know, jacked up like one hour there. They say one hour there, seven years. Is that... It's
1: it's terrifying to think about. Uh, like, yeah, it's, so... just, it's a terrifying concept. <laughs> this,
0: this sent me into some kind of like existential downward spiral because it. I I am so worried about like having enough time and like just uh, kind of the the idea of people that like I'm currently on the same track with and like like for somehow I would be like they would grow older and I say the same age or vice versa is weirdly uh i guess scary i don't know if scary is the word but like very much just sends me into like ah like so when they come back like so they're on this planet if i i, I never explained the movie that much in these podcasts but i feel like maybe a little explanation so they go down to this planet that they think could have life but it's just water everywhere there's just it's like a big ocean you could stand in and they one hour yeah They use seven years and then they get stuck there for way longer than they even plan to and they come back up and the poor guy they left on the ship <laughs> has been there by himself for what do they say like 24 years or is it longer than that
1: it's uh it's uh 20 something years i forget the yeah. exact number but yeah, i'm glad they said this too
0: because Romley. i thought why does he look like he's barely aged but then the anne hathaway has that really quick line about like why didn't you sleep and he has the response like i slept a little bit so it's like he he could kind of put himself in stasis or cryosleep, whatever you want to call it. So they yeah. kind of explain like he was in there for a little bit. So he's only aged a little, but not 24. I'm glad years. that
1: you brought that up because uh I have heard a couple of complaints from people who talk about how little he is actually aged at that point. And you know what? That um I do think the general idea for that would be to age him up to really kind of hit the impact of that scene. But because Nolan Is so interested in the science and the kind of realistic, uh, the more like he wants it to be as realistic as possible, as scientific as possible. And the whole science, great. There is no there is no science around hypersleep because it doesn't really exist, but (laughs) theoretically, it could like keep you alive for much longer and it would stop you from aging. So that would explain that. I think it's perfect explanation. Although, I do, I always, I do always. Chuckle a little when the first thing this guy says to them after having not seen them for twenty something years is, "I've waited years," and I don't know why. I'm just like, that's that's all you can say. They they know that you've waited years,
0: right? (laughs) They know Um, that guy. Just I just I think I really thought about man. Imagine being that guy, and I feel like I keep saying that guy. What is the character
1: name? (laughs) Uh, Romley.
0: Okay. Yeah. Portrayed
1: Um, by uh, David Giasi, who here, talk about a career for like a couple years before he was in The Dark Knight Rises. as like a character without even a name. And then two years later, Nolan makes him basically one of the main characters of the movie.
0: Yeah, David. He was also in
1: uh, he was also in Cloud Atlas in between them. Oh, okay, Really good in that.
0: Yeah, he's just yeah. he's just skinny prisoner in Dark Knight Rise. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: like Nolan must see Nolan was like that skinny prisoner guy.
0: I like that, that guy. That's the guy. Uh oh, he's annihilation. But I yeah, know. that yeah, sorry. Oh, he is? <laughs> yeah. I I haven't seen Annihilation since open night, but I really liked it. But uh yeah, poor poor Romley is all I thought. Because this guy like the idea to be stuck by yourself, even if you can put yourself into cryo sleep for chunks of time. To be by yourself in that that spaceship which just, I think the robot was still there.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, man, you know what? The I'd I'd be okay if I had Tars with me. Tars is great company. <laughs> Tars is my boy. I
0: was again. I'm going to go off in many different directions. I was so blown away by the the choice of the way the robots look and sound. This stuff, like the first time I was like, what an odd choice to make have them move because it it almost looks at first like what a terrible design choice like why is that the (laughs) way but then when you see them move like especially on like the water planet you're like okay that's they're actually pretty mobile and useful but you look at them you're like what a dumb design (laughs) but but uh and they even talk kind of like low-key it's just like the way I, i i forgot who voiced uh Tars or I do he does both voices, but like uh,
1: Tars was uh, so Tars was voiced and puppeted by uh, Bill Irwin. Okay, and uh, uh-huh. Case, I really love this one because Case was voiced by uh, my boy Josh Stewart from The Collector. He's the main character oh. in The Collector, and he's okay. also he's he's um, Bane's like right hand man in The Dark Knight Rises. Like he doesn't have much to do; he's just always kind of hanging out to the side when in the scenes with Bane. Uh, And he has a little, like, uh, voice cameo in uh, Tenet. So he's not, like, a big actor that Nolan utilizes, but Nolan clearly likes him enough to keep going back to him for these little roles, and I like that.
0: Yeah. Um, That, uh, yeah, Yeah. I just, it was like, what, they're so dry and sarcastic for, like, robots, and they...
1: Well, uh, they got their humor settings, don't forget. Like, you could easily turn that humor (laughs) setting down to zero and get no sarcasm. (laughs) <laughs> I forgot about that. I, lo- the change I the love I love that about them. It's ju- it's just such a fun little detail, and yeah, the whole uh, idea around the design was Nolan again. You know, he's always he's always focused on quote unquote realism, mm-hmm. and he wants this to kind of be a, re- a a possible exploration of a realistic future. And the whole idea behind the robots is more function than look. And yeah, yeah. He, also, he doesn't want to devolve into the cliches of this kind of movie, you know, of a dystopian sci-fi world where, you know, maybe you have like a, futurist, a bunch of futuristic technology, maybe the big sprawling cities. Like he basically, the, the whole idea is um, that uh, because we are so focused on solving the hunger crisis, uh, technological development kind of ceased. So, like the most advanced technology we see is the farming equipment, like that big machine that's kind of going through the crops. Mm -hmm. And because we don't have, uh, like, we don't have resources to devote to like uh, continued technological development. We've got to solve these other problems, uh, the big problems. And this kind of an extension of that, these very functional robots that do not look, they look futuristic, but they also kind of look very, Simple, like they weren't, they're not the most advanced designs. Mm-hmm. I also love the touch that they were designed for military use.
0: Oh, I don't know if I even caught that. It's <laughs> <was> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that I, cause yeah, it's funny. Yeah, that's a good thing about Nolan, too. I think that's a good thing to point out is that like he's kind of like, okay, what if this thing actually existed? What's like kind of a realistic version? Because he did that in the Batmobile, I think the Tumblr was kind of like, this could oh, be a thing. Tumblr?
1: Yeah, wouldn't be interested
0: in that. <laughs> oh, good one, good one. Uh, like, and all the all the Batman tech that they introduce is like trying to play off some kind of real world thing, for the most part, I think. Um, so I guess yeah, I don't know if the robots came from anything or they had to saw something, or but they do they do de- they seem like function over anything else. Like they're not meant to be flashy. It's like big blocky robots <laughs> that. Uh, that have humor settings, which I appreciate. Uh.
1: <laughs> and then, once, like the way you see them in action, I just think is so cool. Like the fact that um they are these giant blocks, but they can still actually move around. And then they have these little like uh, instruments that will unfold. They're basically giant blocks that kind of unfold into smaller blocks. And like you can uh, unf- they unfold little hands if they need yep. them to like save <laughs> Anne Hathaway. Uh, they can turn into giant asterisks if they can just like tumble through the water.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I love all <laughs> these functions that they have.
0: It's it's very cool that uh yeah. And also, to... just I
1: I'm sorry, I just love the humor setting. Like I I cracked <laughs> up when I first saw this. Uh, what he's doing like uh, I have a uh I have a I have a notification light that I can light up if you want to know that I'm joking. Yeah, that'd be great yeah, you can use it to find your way back into the airlock after I've blown you out. <laughs> and then he lights it. I, I love TARS. And then hmm. another great line, when they're going down to Miller's planet, the water planet, they're just like, McConaughey's like, they don't really talk that much, to you, Case? He's like, TARS talks enough for both of us. <laughs>
0: Oh, I think I caught that line, or I forgot about it. But that's a good line. Uh,
1: well, I, I've seen this movie quite a few times. I've taken, a, I've memorized a lot of little details.
0: <laughs> you are watching it right now, aren't you? As you usually do.
1: I am. I, I had to hold back <laughs> tears because I just passed the part of him uh, leaving his daughter as he was driving off to the. Uh, oh yeah. Basically, the the big moment where he's leaving, as it's intercut with the launch. Mm-hmm. That's a that's oh, a good moment <laughs> with that music swell. Oh God let's talk about the i feel like we're just jumping around there's no structure to this conversation that's, that's
0: but the show it's like that's how the show goes
1: <laughs> there's a lot in this movie and one thing i found out was um for this movie with the uh, Hans zimmer he didn't uh bring him on when the movie was complete or when the script was complete he basically wrote out like a page kind of describing uh what he wanted for the movie kind of the emotional tones he was going for Mm -hmm. very little about the plot i think he mainly talked about the uh father daughter relationship although at that time it was a son and he just Mm -hmm. sent that to han zimmer this one page and he asked him to come up with a couple of themes based on that one page and they proceeded to build the score out from there before the script was even complete and and he also tried to avoid instruments that he normally went with, and I think it was Nolan that came up with the idea to use the organ, because that's another thing about Nolan, he's always trying to do different things with movies, like he's always trying to, like he's always trying to do more with IMAX technology, do more with uh, practical uh, shooting techniques, and he's trying to push Hans Zimmer in uh, new directions, and so he suggested the organ, and apparently Hans was terrified at that idea, but he likes a challenge, so he went with it. And I mean, I think this is uh this might be my favorite Hans huh, Zimmer's score. It's
0: a really, really good score. I know Zimmer gets some shit uh these days um for things. I think people were kind of mad because I guess he started some kind of I don't know the details. I'm not an expert on this, but like the way he does scores almost like he farms them out to other people and doesn't pay them well. I don't I, I don't know the details of that. But and I feel like people give his score shit because it's a lot of like, they always joke about being like bong, but he's hitting like big notes and all this stuff. But I will say <laughs> I like more Hans Zimmer scores. I don't I think when he when he comes and he really hits, it really, really works like Interstellar. I think that's a really good score from him. Um, but I like more of his scores than I don't. I don't I don't know the criticism. Of, I don't know all the details of his business dealings or how he does his composing, but I like a lot of Hans Zimmer scores, I will say. And this one's really great.
1: I was going to say uh regarding Zimmer on the uh sorry, we're talking about sorry. Let me get my bearings straight. Again. Let me get my bearings set <laughs> again. Uh Zimmer Interstellar. Yeah, the um the the way that he did this score is interesting too because yeah, Nolan gave him the idea to use the organ mm. and they ended up actually recording like the, first they recorded it without images like they just recorded the score and they had nolan and zimmer kind of overstaying it to make sure that the emotion kind of stayed on point but they recorded part of it in te- in a temple church in england so they recorded it in this ancient church where the uh with a giant pipe organ where the sound just reverberated it's, oh. i love like for all the shit that, I don't know, people can give Zimmer shit, but, like, he tries interesting things. You can watch, like, the creation of the music on Interstellar, or the creation of the score on Dune, and you're seeing a guy trying things that aren't normally tried in movies, and, like, I I hesitate to say groundbreaking, but that's what it feels like when you're watching it. And, yeah, yeah think- the, um, mm-hmm. oh, I oh, was go ahead, gonna right. say, yeah, the, uh, Watching him create the score, which it it does contain the standard Zimmer bombast, but like with different instruments, like he's not hitting the drums with the brass really hard in this outside of, I don't know, maybe the cymbals. I can hear a lot of cymbals being rattled in this, but Like, it's just the instruments he chooses to build to his crescendos with, particularly with Nolan. You know, I think that's where the kind of jokes about Zimmer doing came from because (laughs) of the Inception sound. Inception, yeah, yeah. Which, like, say what you will, the reason that inspired so many jokes is because it's an awesome fucking cue. (laughs) (laughs) It works, yeah, I think it works, yeah. (laughs) One of the best scores of the decade, like on top of the one we're talking about right now. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the, uh, I just, I love the organ motif. Like he was very, um, Nolan was inspired by uh, Koyana Scotsy. Have you seen that? Are you familiar with it?
0: I'm familiar with it, but I've never seen it. Cause uh, I'll be honest with you. It's a hard sell. There's someone to tell me, yeah, you just watch images with uh, music over it. And there's no, is there not even narration? It's just literally music and nope. images.
1: Okay. Just music and images. I, uh, I tried watching it once when I was, uh, much younger and more impatient didn't work but i mean the music is indisputable and mm. i mean obviously mm. it's like uh partially famous because they use the uh score and watchman in the trailer and in the right. movie okay yeah, this yeah, yeah. great organ piece and you can definitely feel the influence in that and that like it's an interesting because it's an interesting i didn't i used an adjective as a noun there i'm sorry <laughs> people i'm i'm so excited to talk about this movie that i'm just like jumping around uh it's an interesting comparison because koyana is all about like life out of out of balance that's what it i think that's what it literally means the term koyana and you're basically watching these uh contradicting images of nature and industrialization and how one is kind of crushing the other and that's basically what this i mean in a sense that's kind of what this movie is about how the uh end of the world how we've kind of helped create the end of the world and I love that he's kind of drawing on that score for this movie mm-hmm. uh, it's That's just, a... I get I get lost sorry <laughs> I also I was reading about the score and watching the bonus features like right before we record and it's just like that was one of the most fascinating elements of the making of this movie
0: no this is again. why well, I'm glad you're here because you know all this stuff and it is very interesting is not Is did Philip Glass do that score for uh...
1: yes okay which I do. my like friend and i music. always uh my friend and i always joke we call this uh hans glass music
0: <laughs> i mean if that's the combo i like it uh that yeah i think it's really good i feel like yeah he always has tried certain things and i think people accuse him of being lazy i'm not saying he doesn't reuse some of his own stuff but he does try new stuff too so i don't know i never really bought put that much stock into that whole thing but <laughs> you know that's just me um Okay, yes, score's really good. Sorry, we're going to be all over the place. I can already tell because I, I feel like I have a bunch of things I want to say. I'm sure you have a bunch of things you want to say. I have to go back to the water plant, I think, for a second. So he talked about it from Romilly's point of view, being, like, alone in that station that whole time. But that one of the parts that makes me cry is when McConaughey watches those videos. Of... Oh,
1: but you mean, like, the, uh, the universal crying gif? The one that's <laughs> literally become like the most popular crying gif it's online.
0: It's so funny that it's become like the universal meme for crying. But it's like, it's still so emotional. It's like, it's like I, I I almost had to get past it again. I was like, oh, right. It's the meme of kind of hate crying. But in the context of what's happened to him and what he's watching, it is very emotional because they've lost all this time, Emmane and Hathaway. And she's worried about her dad still being alive, Michael Caine, uh, which he is at that point. And because that's the first thing I would say if I came out 23 years, I'm like, Are my, is my mom still alive? You know, and then him with his kids, the, the flip side, it's like I've missed their whole childhood. And then when Casey Affleck pops up and it was like, hey, your granddad, like he goes through this whole this whole lifespan of him growing up and he missed all of it. And he's been but he's only been gone a few hours in his time. And just how, you know, like crazy that is to to be like you know how much i would fuck with you it's like i was only gone a few hours i missed 20 something years of life and my kids are adults now and like um and it, he's it's just i think i know that things were memed to death but i think the reaction of the moment totally works and is is genuinely but, very moving. you know
1: yeah. memes serve to ruin good things i think because <laughs> they can the reason it's such an the reason memes are so powerful is because usually the source is very powerful or at least Mm -hmm. when it comes from like a really good movie and like the reason that has like people go to that is because it is like one of the most effective like scenes of a man crying you've ever seen in a movie like the con like just the performance itself and the context are in it's devastating and yes, it's bad yes. enough, like, learning about his kid's whole life from his son. And then when, talk about, talk about an introduction, when Jessica Chastain comes into the movie. Oh, yeah. And, the <laughs> like, the first thing you hear from her is, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and then yeah. t- bringing back the whole thing he said about how when he'd be back, they would probably be the same age. And there they are, the same age, and she hasn't heard from him. Mm -hmm. it's it's just soul crushing it's oh god I mean (laughs) people always (laughs) talk about Nolan being a cold clinical filmmaker maybe in certain aspects but like I don't know how you could say that about the guy who brought that scene to life
0: yeah I was gonna get into that at some point because I know you're a Nolan guy uh I was watching Aristotle and thinking where did that criticism come from about him being this like cold unemotional filmmaker because I'm like, I don't, especially with this, I don't get it, because I think this is a pretty emotional movie. Um, did it come from, like, I don't mean Inception is pretty intense with DiCaprio and the whole situation with his wife, you know, and I, I just don't know where that, even, I was watching, it, like, where did it all start? Like, why did that become a thing? Because I don't think it's that accurate at all.
1: So. I don't even remember where that started. You know, I think people <laughs> view him as a very uh, clinical uh, cerebral, kind of he's, yeah. He's a puzzle guy. His movies are kind of puzzles that you have to put together. And I think people go in more with uh, that outlook than uh, I, th- I think because they are, uh, he is kind of known as such a cerebral filmmaker. People tend to focus too much on that aspect and they, they like to forget that he's actually got these really deep emotional undercurrents to it. Like, you know, maybe it's uh, the prestige can be part of it because that's a very cold movie, but I don't think I don't think that movie is without its deep, powerful emotions. I don't think that movie works if you don't like feel things for the characters at certain points. Right. But maybe that's part of it because at the like, it's this deep co- emotional movie that ends as a very cold magic trick.
0: That could be part of it, I guess. I mean, the Batman movies aren't necessarily. Uh super emotional they have emotional moments.
1: I, I don't know man that um i think that those movies are pretty emotional
0: i find them very exciting i find it, like goosebumps inducing <laughs> exciting but what what are you thinking of specifically with because maybe i'm forgetting something with
1: i mean the, the moment i always go to is uh rachel's death in the dark night
0: Oh, yeah. And how That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: that pretty much drives the rest of the movie, both from uh, Bruce's point of view and from uh, Harvey Dent's point of view and how like one so, like they both kind of spiral into this uh, depression. But one of them lets his depression uh, turn him violent. Like I think. The Dark Knight, I think, is a very emotional movie. I don't think it gets enough credit for that. I think Christian Bale has. Really powerful moments in those movies that don't get enough credit. Uh, yeah,
0: I you were, I didn't think about the the Rachel thing, but that was pretty emotional. There, so oh, I God, don't know. that
1: is yeah. That <laughs> you know what I was going to bring that up. That kind of mirrors the uh, the Doctor Man death in here because much like he's killed mid sentence, Rachel is ki- like blown to bits. Uh, yeah. mid sentence in the Dark Knight, like she starts talking to Harvey, and then
0: I think it's very easy to take for granted that I felt like, and maybe I'm wrong, this is a long time ago, but I felt like they were not going to kill her, she was going to be saved, because it just felt like that, I don't know, just felt like that wasn't, and then to do it mid-sentence, she's talking and they blow her up, that was very shocking. Like that, I remember being people gasped, they were like, you know, people were really like oh, shocked by that whole that whole moment.
1: I, I remember reading a review that like, kind of spoiled it. Oh. They didn't say it, but like, they like gave certain context clues and I don't know back then I was really like, I could always pick up on context clues as to what happens in movies. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just like, damn it. She's going to die. Isn't she? <laughs> but it's still, it's such a good moment. Such a yeah. good moment. Yeah.
0: So I don't, I, this I think is, and you could, I mean, if you don't have another opinion, I think this is Interstellar's. I think is most emotional movie though.
1: Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> not, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, lots of his movies, I get really emotional beats out of, but nothing as strong as the uh, connection between Murph and uh, Joe. I want to call him Cooper because that's what they call him, but like that's that's just his last name. That's Murph's last name, so like I'm saying, the connection between <laughs> Cooper and Cooper, <laughs> the Cooper, but Cooper uh, whatever, y'all yeah. know what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> their connection is so powerful, and just like. Oh, God, it's just, it's de- every moment between them is devastating. It's, like, affirming and devastating. Like, you've got that amazing moment at the end. Like, oh, God, talk about a satisfying emotional payoff when mm-hmm. he walks into the hospital room at the end and there's Ellen Burstyn as old Murph. And just, mm-hmm. talk. oh, man, that's another part I love about the score is there's, like, a couple moments in this movie where the organ just, like builds and builds and builds until it's at like peak noise and then it just cuts off and it like does that when he walks into the hospital room and just yeah like sorry you're you're full of shit if you think uh, Christopher Nolan is not an emotional <laughs> filmmaker you're just full of yeah. shit and uh,
0: yeah I mean I, you you mentioned so I'm just gonna jump to it the other moment that makes me cry immediately when he sees like old Murph uh when they finally because they build up that thing for a while i feel like they they wake him up and you 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 kind of want them to see each other for the whole movie and then when he wakes up um they're kind of like talking about her and then you're going through this whole thing also i don't know how they shot that whole sequence on that it looks amazing like the stuff things are upside down or on the side like that just him walking to kind of meet her but Uh, yeah it looks incredible um and then when he meets her i think she just says something simple like i never thought i'd see you again or oh no she's she like i always knew i'd see you again or what's the
1: i think she says uh you were my ghost
0: oh that well that yeah 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 and just them reconnecting i was like how emotional this would be and how it'd be very strange too to see your child as like a old woman and you're the same age (laughs) like but just that whole thing would be so Uh. emotional her whole family's around. They, they, got, they got to be weirded out. They're like, wait, what? It's like, that's our great grandpa. <laughs> like, I <don't> oh, know.
1: <laughs> well, you see, and that, uh, that kind of leads me into, I still don't know how I feel about this part of the movie, because on the one hand, it's very emotional. And like, she says, no parent should have to watch their child die. Right. Which, yeah, I, I think, no, I don't think anyone wouldn't agree with that. And, So he just like after reconnecting with her for a bit she just tells him to leave and go be with Anne Hathaway and he just kind of leaves his extended family who he hasn't really had any time to meet (laughs) and I'm kind of torn like no he should have more time with her he should have more time with these people but like Matt, like I don't. I would imagine that would be very devastating. Meeting all these people that you're related to, but that are like gener like generations ahead of you. Right, and you have nothing. You'd be like, yeah, I, you haven't met. I them, can see but... that being a profoundly sad experience. So I'm kind of torn between. I want him to stay and uh, connect with, like, reconnect with Murph and connect with his family, and then I just want him to go because he needs to be with the he needs to be with people he knows and at this point that's just tars and brand
0: that's yeah that's true it's not like like we do know him anymore cuz it's been so long and
1: but and you know what yeah. that's the sign of a great movie makes you ask these questions
0: yeah i was thinking if this was a real scenario i'm sure they probably would have spent more time together but i think the movie's like okay we got to get <laughs> we got to wrap this thing up but uh, yeah that's
1: another thing like that it like it's a long exhausting movie and like sometimes an extended denouement can really hurt a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And, but he like, he just wraps it up like that.
0: Yeah, I feel like it gets the emotional impact in there quickly. You get, like, you get, because again, I just start crying immediately. But just because I'm like, this is so sad that they were finally reconnected she's about to die. But it's like, they at least they got to see each other. It's a lot of emotions going on. It's like relief. Like, oh, they did get to kind of say goodbye, but now she's going to die and and he's got really no he's like a man at a time at this point, besides uh Anne Hathaway, who she's like, go see Anne Hathaway. Um yeah, it's just a weird, I such a I don't know, scenario that I I was I think for some reason this time I was really in my head playing the game of like, oh my god, this would be insane if I was in Matthew McConaughey's shoes, like how this would mess with my head about everything that's been going on with the time and you know, being a person out of time and kind of being very alone at that point. Um yeah, so
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, kind of piggybacking off the whole uh, father-daughter connection, I guess I can ask you about probably, I guess the biggest point of contention in the movie, how do you feel about the Tesseract?
0: <laughs> uh, what do you mean exactly? Wait, what do you mean how you uh,
1: feel? Like, uh, do, like um, did, does the movie, like, I mean, I know you love the movie, so I guess it doesn't lose you, but like, how did you feel when you first watched it and he went into the black hole, and he emerges in this three-dimensional representation of four-dimensional space-time concepts that I still can't fully wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah. basically I... <laughs> connected, they've basically given him a way to travel through every moment in his daughter's bedroom. Uh yeah. And I it's mean, like I... Because I remember watching that in theaters, and I was just like, oh, man, this is where it turns into 2001, isn't it? This is where it turns into Jupiter <laughs> and beyond the infinite. Yeah. And it kind of did in the point that I still, like, I understand the basics of what happened there. But there's still a lot uh, regarding, like, the physics, the mechanics, everything that happens in that scene that I just can't wrap my head around. That's yeah. probably a question <laughs> for Kit Thorne.
0: I'll be no I'll be no help either because I don't I can't really head around the science of that either but I find it a very interesting idea I I was that was probably the part that worked best for me like I I think I'd heard that criticism before or afterwards about that section because people were like oh it becomes like a 2001 rip off and like I don't like that part where it goes into this whole like wormhole thing yeah I like was...
1: every sci-fi movie made in the past uh, 60 years hasn't been a 2001 rip off somehow
0: right I Oh, man, I don't know. I, I had no problem with it. I thought it was just super interesting. It was really again, I was just all into that movie the first time. And and this time it still worked for me. I don't understand it. I can't pretend to understand it. Um, Besides the fact that it was actually a very hopeful idea that there were like uh, beings from outer space who actually were like looking out for us in a way <laughs> is that is how I took it of like, oh, or just some kind of being so we were like, let's help this guy. And, you know, in a way kind of Save everyone because him being Murph's ghost through that whole thing helps her figure out solution on Earth to to help everyone. So or at least get off of Earth, you know. But um, it's I again. I'm just, like it sound like an idiot because it was like I don't know, but I liked it. But um, I didn't. I I could see how people would be like this is too ridiculous to me, or I think it jumps the shark or whatever. Um, but I just thought, it. I mean, it's sci-fi. I don't know. Like, I don't expect, I don't expect to know exactly. everything. exactly. It's like, I don't expect to understand everything. It's just a cool concept, a cool idea. Like I actually, that was like, cause I thought the movie was a little more, there is a lot of downbeat stuff that happens, but the idea that there were actually uh, beings who we can't like out there, who were like looking out for the human race in a way was kind of nice. I thought it was like, let's help him along
1: and then so. they turn out to be us
0: yeah oh yeah like, oh true. my god um it's and i know a... it uh it it was I, know, I thought it was cool like just that whole sequence of uh, like it looks amazing visually i think like that was the part where see, i felt like that's oh, the what i was gonna bring it to you
1: yeah <laughs> that that i could see cold medicine being really good with some of the visuals in this like oh, uh, it worked so well the, for the, the wormhole <laughs> or uh gargantua the way the lights kind of wrote uh orbiting gargantua like that's there are just such great space visuals in this movie
0: the visuals are amazing yeah that's like it's some really cool imagery uh and yeah I think it might also help I was it was late it was kind of delirious you know I've been sleeping on and off so I was kind of out of it it was like I was like this is great man I'm like really tripping balls over here watching this movie (laughs) but um it worked i'm it not worked. gonna it, lie i'm
1: i'm kind of jealous that seems I, like a great first way to watch I, it. Though. everybody
0: should watch it that way it's what i always recommend um and yeah it worked I, this time it still worked it was a funny thing i thought that's what i really thought i was like oh i don't know about the the stuff in the second half might not work as well but no i was still was very into, well, I mean, invested in the story The
1: that's um, the great thing about great movies and great visuals they work no matter what state of mind you're in
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I do have a Nolan question for you because it comes up again in Interstellar, and this is like I don't know if it's a knock on him or it's something everyone talks about. And I want your take.
1: It comes up again in Interstellar.
0: Yes, it's a thing. It's a thing he does a lot.
1: Oh, sorry. I thought you. I thought you were saying it comes up again in another movie, and you were accidentally saying Interstellar. Never mind. Sorry. No, no. Sorry. I'm out of it.
0: I'll I'll just say it. So basically, I know he gets criticism a lot for the dead wife trope, the fridging. Um but <laughs> your face is just no but i will say i i I mean i guess i thought about it because this happened all the time but somebody on twitter like a, a film critic a, a female film critic posited this idea that i thought was really interesting i never thought this for it's like their perspective was like no Nolan, christopher nolan's like a hardcore wife guy he's been married to that woman uh emma for... thomas Emma Thomas thank you I don't know that woman's ever dismissive I didn't mean to be like he's married to the same no no I I, I didn't mean
1: to do do no you're
0: no I'm glad you did because it sounded like that woman no he's been married to Emma Thomas (laughs) for a very long time they work together a lot they have like three kids together I think um so she this woman posited the idea about like she's like I don't like the idea everyone gives Nolan shit for like the fridging thing because she was thinking maybe in his mind because he loves his wife so much the worst thing he could imagine is for her to die. <laughs> and that's why he keeps putting it into movies is like, that's a scary thing for him is for his wife to pass away. So it's almost like he's like working through it because yeah, McConaughey's wife is dead in interstellar. Um, there's, I guess, I mean, I guess Rachel, gets killed Wait. off in dark Knight. uh, inception, obviously that's like the whole crux of inception.
1: Uh, um, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, the bulk of the first chunk of his career, like, uh, Memento's literally uh yeah Memento's literally about him trying to get revenge for his dead wife. Right. <laughs> and then uh The Prestige you literally there are two wives that die in The Prestige. Like that's the darkest one. It's true.
0: Yeah. But, I mean did um, you ever think about this before or do you have any thoughts on this criticism of it?
1: <laughs> I mean I look when I when Interstellar came out I became aware of this trope because like, I spent a lot of time online and with people whose The main way they wanted to read movies was how they uh, treated, uh, you know, uh, female characters and minority characters. And these things are... I'm not saying these things aren't important, but using that as your, like, sole reading of a movie just seems very limiting. Mm-hmm. And so I remember at the time, I was just like... Uh, I remember, like, in my head, I was just like, I mean i get where you're coming from but also you're ignoring i feel like you're yeah ignoring the fact that this guy just like he has a deep fear of like he loves his family and like that's the great the biggest fear that he has is like losing her and he constantly revisits that and you know it's actually funny in this uh, book i'm reading the nolan variations he talked about how he uh Like he, he, like he thinks that sometimes people read a little too much into his movies, like kind of the same way he thinks people did that for Hitchcock. Like he's pretty much just a formalist and like reading any deeper themes into his movies or like trying to find connective tissues are, uh, could maybe be a fool's errand, but you can't deny the fact like certain things he keeps uh, returning to like the dead wife or time like, definitely are things that he thinks about all the time. And so that was a long, drawn-out way for me to say that I... <laughs> I I think it's a bullshit criticism. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe he has some issues writing female characters, but I don't know. Now that I say it, I don't really think he does. Like, I mean, I... I mean, granted, like, I'm a white guy, so again, I probably there's only so much my perspective on this issue counts and I recognize that but and I just I don't ever I don't view this as a complaint and also I think he's I don't know I I think he's written a lot of great female characters like I love uh both brand and uh Murph in this I think are incredible
0: yeah and and what? complex characters I think because they complex characters motivations change it's like they're you know what i will say if yeah
1: ironically like the the movie where i maybe have the biggest issue with this female characters is oppenheimer but that's like that's not really the movie's fault that's he's just like representing history and the story that he's telling is about uh j robert oppenheimer and he's there's only so much he can do with those people but as a result i feel like the inclusion of emily blunt and florence Q kind of suffers at the uh, hands of the stories trying to tell I don't know if I'm making any sense here but uh...
0: <laughs> no you are I mean the Oppenheimer thing obviously is very recent and I was thinking that too I'm like it's like well well, everyone he's telling a story from a certain perspective of history and I just think especially at that time it was like females were in a, a different place uh, I mean there's there definitely stories to tell I just it's like um, I don't know why this comes to my mind but like Hidden Figures, that that movie is all like a female-centric story about what they did. Like, you know, there's, there's female stories to tell. I just think the story he's telling Oppenheimer is very, like, male-based. It's a historical story, you know what I mean? And exactly. Emily Blunt, it's like the best scene, one of the best scenes in the movie at the end. Like, um, and the and Florence is based off a real person. You know, these are based off real people. So there's only exactly. so much he can do. It's like, you but know, then like, this, And of course, yeah.
1: this builds in, this goes into the other argument of, well we we need to be making uh, we need to be telling more stories about women and minority that's what i was thinking and uh yeah and like yeah i mean nolan's just mostly telling uh stories about white men like that's what always usually the main (laughs) focus of his movies and they uh i can't i i honestly can't really have a good defense there just like that's that's what he's doing i'd be i mean yeah, no, I feel like maybe you should cut this part out now. <laughs> so I feel no, like no. I'm starting a dive into No, toxic no, no. I territory. think it's no,
0: I think it's a fair thing you're saying. I mean, yeah, it's just I was I've, thinking more... I, of, yeah.
1: So, I will just say I've always felt like uh Tenet was kind of a response of him to people who criticized him for telling mostly white male stories cuz the obviously the protagonist in that is black and there's a very uh, strong like the um Elizabeth Debicki character kind of factors into that one a great deal like she ends up living through the whole thing. She ends up kind of getting like one of the big moments in the movie where she gets to kill her abusive husband. Right. And that always kind of felt like a reaction of him towards the criticism.
0: And which may have been. I yeah. always yeah.
1: and I always thought that was really cool. That's part of why I like Tenet so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to I'm going to rewatch Tenet more cuz I liked it the second time I watch it I think I'd like it more as I keep I still don't know what the hell's going on in Tenet but <laughs> it's just I I want to know what's going on in Tenet Or I, I actually probably should stop trying to figure out what's going on as they say in the movie don't try to understand it just feel it but I um... think
1: part of the fun of Tenet is always trying to figure it out because every time I watch it certain things make more sense and other things make less sense mm-hmm. and it's frustrating but it's also invigorating it's also just a really fun action movie
0: yeah no it is it is a really fun action movie um but uh okay back to where we were at now we were off this tangent
1: but oh man um, i feel like i accidentally said some i feel like i accidentally said some stuff that's gonna get me skewered i don't
0: think you said anything uh
1: that's always like that's a tough uh, that's sometimes that's a tough area of uh conversation to venture into
0: yeah, no, but I think I mean you said like yes. I right, but you know
1: what it yeah. did give us an opportunity to bring up Emma Thomas because she uh like yeah, she has been his uh producing partner uh like for every movie. And I always love those uh husband and wife collaborations where they work together like she's basically second in charge in all of his movies.
0: That's what it seems like, yeah, from what I've heard. Um, She's
1: a great, uh, like, she's a great soundboard for him to bounce ideas off of. Like, I always love, like, I always love hearing her in interviews because she's always just as, uh, like, she's always just as uh, informative and well-spoken as uh, her husband is. I always love seeing pictures of them just hanging out on set because they're very British and proper. (laughs) Uh
0: Uh-huh. It's (laughs) very British. Um but uh, yeah, so I just think, I thought that was interesting. I never heard one talk about it. I heard the idea about like, oh, Nolan always kills off the female characters, kills off the wife, the frigging thing. But then when someone put that out there. I was like, maybe that is it. Because I almost think I would do that. Because um, I would be, you know, a big wife guy be like, that's the worst thing that happened to me sure, it's like, like my
1: wife know, dies, you know, so. Um, you write things that you relate to and he clearly relates to that. Uh, just like, wait, hold on. Hold on. Oh, sorry, yeah. roommate just got home gotta block the noise from getting in here but like this movie is very much I uh, read something in the book about how this is kind of a reflection of his uh fear of losing time with his kids because he's always spending so much time making movies it's a time-consuming process and he built a lot of that into the story like this movie is basically a reflection of his fear of that that's that comes across very
0: clearly actually (laughs) like that like you uh, can
1: always there's always the reading of nolan films the kind of meta reading uh as their commentary on the filmmaking process and this is very much commenting on how it takes you away from your family and like once you get back to them a a lot of time has passed things have changed yeah that's actually comes
0: across very clearly and like it's funny because i was thinking i don't even have kids and this was still freaking me on this movie because i'm like oh my god like (laughs) losing imagine losing time with uh imaginary children don't have but it, it's a scary thought for a parent. Because i think if, if parents don't want to a lot of you don't miss like time with their kids because kids grow up very quickly and then you know you're worried they're gonna like maybe they're gonna resent you for things you didn't do or something and uh and clearly uh jessica chastain's character murph grown up resents him pretty heavily for a while um which she says in the messages basically um which has to also be that stings McConaughey pretty bad. I mean, that that would hurt pretty badly that your kid is like, eh. Um, here, here's a question, because we're talking about all the McConaughey stuff, all the space stuff. What do you think about a lot of the stuff when they go back to Earth, which Jessica Chastain and Topher Grace and Casey Affleck's character and all that stuff? because I feel like we hadn't
1: even mentioned any of it. <laughs> like, um, there, there's lots yeah. of stuff we haven't mentioned. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we haven't even mentioned the fact, like one of my big problems with the movie is how when they land on Dr. Miller's planet, like their entire issue on that planet could be solved if they just once someone looks behind them and sees the giant wave that's crawling up on their asses. <laughs> like that is all that's always been my biggest problem with the movie that not one person looks the other direction like not even accidentally when they're stepping (laughs) off the ship bothers me every time
0: you're on a new planet you think you do a full 360 everything (laughs) uh
1: anyway uh (laughs) back on earth Murph Casey I personally love that stuff because I love seeing I mean first I just love grown-up Murph I love Jessica Chastain I Mm -hmm. think she's, uh, as we said, I think she's a very strong character, and, like, I just, I always love, like, people always kind of complain about it, but I do, I kind of like those, uh, fuck yeah, science movies, and I love watching (laughs) smart people try and uh, tackle, uh, try and tackle scientific equations, stuff like that, yeah, like, A someone in a room with like a bunch of equations on a chalkboard i love that
0: stuff like i eat that (laughs) yeah i don't uh, know what's going on but i like it too
1: yeah (laughs) and uh casey affleck clearly hates that stuff and i (laughs) kind of love that like the movie like the movie at least the movie respects farming it doesn't like necessarily hate it but it also is like kind of critical of the quoting backwoods, uh, attitudes that, uh, maybe people in rural areas can develop. That's why like, it's partially due to his like kind of, uh, lack of connection with his father over the years. So he had to let him go, but he feel kind of much like Murph feels abandoned by him, but he kind of turns his back on science and embraces farming. Mm-hmm. And granted that's partially because that's what the schools kind of pushed him towards. They kind of, uh, ruled out, uh, college for him but i i think it's honestly i think it's kind of funny that like one of his kids is like turns into a violent uh he's violent and he's very anti-science like jessica chastain and topher grace who's a doctor is literally telling him your kid will die you've already lost one kid you have another kid who will die if you keep him out here and he just punches him (laughs) And then the whole movie is them trying to just like sneak it, sneak into the house behind their hit Murph trying to sneak into the house behind her anti science brother's back. I think (laughs) it's, I think it's kind of funny, yeah, because they went very different
0: ways, they went very different ways with how they coped with uh, you know, their dad leaving after Connie leaving, and she went the car the other way to science, and he went like kind of the other way to like. Yeah, pretty anti-science. We can like, science crap out of my house. Yeah. Which is kind of <laughs> funny
1: because, like, she's the one that had the bad goodbye with him, and yet she's following in his footsteps. Right. And right. they had a good relationship. Him and, uh, I forget what... Uh, Tom, I think, is the brother's name. Like, they had a good relationship. They had a good goodbye. He was sending him messages, but he's the one that really kind of drifts away from him. And she's yeah. the one that ends up having to, like, find a rediscover their connection she finds his ghost uh in the gravity in her room (laughs) gravitational anomalies Hayden's shaking his head so much at that right now he is not fond of the uh of the ghost and uh the Casey like elements of this movie
0: <laughs> why is he not does he think the ghost thing is just stupid is he just like
1: it's just i i i forget exactly it's too much to go into
0: <laughs> okay fair Aiden, enough.
1: <laughs> love you i wish you were here to uh to explain your side of this
0: there's definitely i'm i can hear an argument from him or anybody to be like i think this stuff is dumb with like matthew conaghy being the ghost and being on their side of the bookshelf and pushing you know like But I think it's neat. I don't know. I like it. Like the movie wins me over in almost every way. It very much endears itself to me. And I'm in on board for all the, you know, whatever sci-fi stuff and all that stuff, you know,
1: I should say, I do think he has uh, he's uh, come around on this stuff in his last viewing. I think he just it's one of those things where he just likes to make fun of it, but he doesn't actually. I don't want (laughs) to misrepresent his opinion because then I'm definitely going to hear back from him on it one day while I'm working. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well i'm excited to hear back from him to Hear what he thinks about i want to hear his <laughs> opinion on the gravitational uh anomaly or whatever um okay well, i'm trying man i'm all over the place but what else do you want to bring up for sure like what else do you have that you want to talk about
1: uh well let's see you know we really haven't i guess we did talk about dr man we kind of started talking about yeah we kind of started Mann, there but, which
0: i didn't expect but that was yeah
1: <laughs> i mean that's it's just It's just, I mean, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite things I've ever seen in any movie. Like just, I mean, first off, the reveal of Matt Damon, which if you don't know, he's in the movie. It's just a great reveal. I had no idea. It's like,
0: what the fuck? Matt Damon's in this too, like an hour and a half. uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, there is the uh, repetition of the Dylan Thomas poem, the uh, do not go gently into that good night, which they, Michael Caine just loves reading over and over again. and And i I love it so yeah (laughs) i love hearing him read it but i love the way that kind of reflects like everyone's outlook in the movie like everyone is fight that poem might as well be called die hard because like (laughs) not going out without a fight Mm -hmm. and it's basically them uh, oh you know what else we haven't talked about that you (laughs) know what i said the tesseract was the big thing people complained about honestly i think Anna Hathaway giving the speech about love is the biggest thing people complain about in this movie.
0: That's okay, man. That's funny because that's the thing I think I quoted in my letterbox review, which I'm like, I love it. I am a corny son of a bitch at heart. I am like, I, I like, I love that kind of stuff about. I mean, I'm I'm gonna you can do the real phrase, but I'm paraphrasing that. Like basically, uh, at what like love could cross all boundaries. I'm already love, you go ahead. It's like
1: love <laughs> is the one thing that can transcend space and time.
0: Love it. Love it. I'm on board. I could get how, how people were like, that's cheesy, that's corny. So again, uh, and this uh, comes
1: back to people complaints Sir, I feel like I'm cutting you off a lot today, no, man. I apologize. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited talking about this movie. I, <laughs> I mean I love it. I love it the way Anne Hathaway loves talking about love. but i think that comes down to people criticizing nolan writing women and it's like oh uh, she's a scientist why would she be talking about this i'm like true but she's a scientist much like the uh not that different from the male scientist portrayed by uh matt damon who uh they set off with the noblest of intentions and uh you know just like intelligence at the top of the charts and then their desperation just drives them to uh, have these different worldviews and her desperation like she thought she was gonna have a chance to see her uh Edmonds, the man she loves again mm-hmm. and once she realizes that that might not be a possibility she just comes she just pulls this thing out of the air to like try and convince them because she's desperate to see him much like matt damon thought that uh there was no chance that his planet wasn't going to be the one where they could hold life and then once he realizes that's not true he kind of uh he kind of go he spirals in his own way out of desperation but that's a uh that's a more uh devious way to spiral whereas she's just <laughs> trying to uh she's just you know she's pulling these ideas out of her head because she's just like i said it's all desperation like we're all fighting for the ones we love to see the people we love again mm-hmm. and uh that's kind of what this movie is about and yeah I love it I think it's a beautiful scene and I love how petty and angry she is when she doesn't get her way and uh <laughs> it's funny it's funny to think that uh all of their problems could have been avoided had they just gone to uh Edmund's planet instead because that's the one where it actually does uh host life of course if they'd done that then they wouldn't have uh had all their the whole reason that he goes into the black hole and stumbles upon the tesseract and is able to transmit all this data to murph is because everything went wrong yeah everything gets so messed it's up. Now, that I'm, yeah. now that i'm saying it's kind of funny. like yeah they could have gone to edmund's planet but uh that would have just been where plan b uh survived where they were able to uh uh start a start a colony with um by uh god why can't i think (laughs) of words today where they basically you know they had all those fertilized eggs on board right right. uh, grow them and start a new colony full of new life on that Mm -hmm. planet and that would have uh solved problem that would have uh, fulfilled plan b but plan a which is Harnessing gravity to get the people of Earth off the off in those uh, giant space stations is the one that Cooper is really focusing on, and that wouldn't have been possible if they had just gone. That's well, you know. Sorry, I just gone on this, (laughs) but I guess I think you're right though,
0: because if they just went straight to Edmunds Planet, they would have been like, "Cool, we're done." But the fact that all the stuff has to go wrong, and then McConaughey's like, "I got to make a desperate hail mary play here to go through the wormhole." wouldn't have happened at all i mean
1: no they wouldn't i mean they he he still would have gone home because he uh he gets the mess in fact this is why i wanted to talk about uh man because oh man oh man man (laughs) (laughs) oh man man one part in this movie i love and again part of the reason that nolan is one of my favorites because just the simple techniques the simple like the simplest filmmaking techniques and editorial techniques and this is not just attributed to him. This is attributed to his whole team, lots of whom he uh collaborates with again because he's uh you know, he's a good captain and he loves his crew. But uh, so that's the part where uh Mike Kane's dying and he reveals that he never it was a lie. He lied to uh, he lied to Cooper, he lied to Murph, he solved right away that he was never gonna be able to uh figure out the gravity scenario. Um... And we cut to murph leaving the message about she's basically telling brand that her father has died yeah. and then she can't help it and she starts asking her did you know that he doomed us and as as she's saying that the score gets really ominous like doom 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 and what i love about that moment is it's like it's representative of the dilemma that they found themselves in now that they know that he was lying to them but it's also like it's playing as you see the ship going to man's planet. And it's also like kind of signaling the doom that's to come when they get on that planet. It's, uh, it's oh, yeah. such I get goosebumps <laughs> every time we get to that one little moment, just like a perfect uh, combination of music and editing shots. Like Just it's just filmmaking. It's just cinema, man. That's why I love it.
0: cinema baby uh this is I was like this is cinema baby um i you just reminded me of something too that i think is one of the most interesting points the movie makes i think matt damon says it and it kind of goes off your plan a thing where uh michael cain kind of had to put plan a out there to convince people for like self-preservation i think matt damon says something like it's very hard to convince humans to do things that will benefit past when they'll be alive or even when they're kids and grandkids will be alive. It's very hard for us to have that that foresight to look that far ahead. It's like hard to convince people to help people they'll never meet, which I was like that's an interesting
1: exactly concept,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, and sadly uh, yeah. probably yeah. very true for most people. <laughs> like yeah.
1: And it, and everyone is just yeah, it's um sorry. Uh I'm, Michael Kane's dying right now. He's about to read the Dylan Thomas poem again. Oh god. It's, but I just <laughs> love how the I love how the meaning of that poem changes with each character throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's kind of what the movie is uh, saying is that we, um, like, it's our connections to each other that are going to help us survive. Like at the end of the day, you want to be noble and selfless, but at the end of the day, it's like, just imagine saying goodbye to those that you love and those you have the strongest connections to in your life. And that's basically what, kind of motivates uh dr man matt damon to sabotage their mission and try and get back to earth himself because he just i don't even know if he honestly for him i don't even know if it's the people he loves he just wants to see people again he's been alone so long that mm-hmm. he just connection with anyone is going to be happy for him happiness that's,
0: yeah that's what it seems like uh see there's just yeah, so Matt have that... i
1: told you that this <laughs> is a masterpiece <laughs> i just think this is a great movie i don't think we One actually said the that best yet, but... movies ever made i
0: i think it's really great i don't know i i, I have a trouble making bold claims about that like, anything uh well great I...
1: you've only seen you've only seen it twice I'm like i've worked with so, this yeah. movie for like almost 10 years i've watched a handful of them i've actually gone on quite a journey with it because uh when i first saw it i yeah i was blown away by it the second time i was really bothered by the uh plot issues that people would always bring up and mm-hmm. then i kind of sat with those for years and then i went to see it they had a uh retrospective screening at the alamo draft house a few years ago and it just blew me away again and now i'm able to overcome any issues i have and just like meet the movie on its terms and its terms are just monumental and grand and it's just such a I just think it's a perfect movie for any problems that I have with it. I still think it's perfect.
0: I, I mean, I really, really enjoy it. I I think the only reason I didn't give it like a perfect rating was I, I do still kind of that first like 45 minutes where they go into space. I kind of um, don't totally love. I mean, I think it's good and it sets up the movie, which is important. But I just I'm so much more interested in the stuff we get into space. I think that I've just kind of like i'm like okay okay get me into space get me into space like you know it's it's more me problem but um uh i think it's really great i i i want to like show people the movie i had a a friend i was like uh who was asking me i think i was on the phone with him i'm watching Interstellar. i never saw that i'm like you got to see interstellar like i'm like telling people like you got to watch interstellar like especially in 4k it looks amazing um
1: okay it's an incredible 4k disc (laughs)
0: like i Maybe the best one I've ever seen, honestly. Like, I'm not an expert on 4K, and I don't have the best setup, but, like, of the 4K discs I've seen, I'm like, this may be the best 4K I've ever seen.
1: Well, that's partially because, like, so much of the movie is shot in IMAX, and it's right. mainly those IMAX scenes that really pop yeah, in 4K. Okay. Yeah. Because he also, he shifts aspect ratio, so when you get the IMAX scenes, it takes up the full TV, and oh, yeah, yeah. every single detail pops in those. It's so good.
0: Yeah, it's really great i uh i do i know we've been back and forth that water planet so many times but again i think i was like how in the hell do they shoot this because it looks to me so well done and i don't want real but it does look like i'm like this looks real and it looks so expansive it's just water and i'm like i'm sure there was obviously i know there was cgi involved but i think it just looks so good i'm like man this looks amazing like it looks so like real like they're on this alien this foreign planet where it's like yeah there's just water everywhere in the waves and it's like i mean that's where the movie completely won me over and blew me away was like this whole water section looks incredible um and i brought up the third time but yeah it's like i just i love that part very favorite part of the movie and like just of how intense that sequence is how it looks like how it plays out uh poor poor what's his name killed off
1: i can't remember uh, west bentley west Rest bentley yes gone too soon
0: because i was like wait west bentley was in this i almost forgot about his character because he dies off so soon it's the first <laughs> oh, one to go first one to go
1: um yeah but yeah no, i mean that's a thing about nolan that's another thing that people always bring up sometimes to like a mocking degree how he likes to do as much as he can practically and i think recently people have taken to where he like They've got this idea that he actually hates visual effects which like is not true he loves all <laughs> the tools of filmmaking but he just he likes to do everything practically that he can and then he loves how visual effects can fill in the seams there's a lot of the uh CG in this movie in like certain points like mm-hmm. yeah I think pretty much everything the wave is CG everything right, with the wave right. is CG but like everything leading up to that they shot but like they shot that on location in this uh, remote part of Iceland where the water looks like an ocean but it's so shallow that you can just stand in it oh okay and yeah. uh <laughs> so they should like you mixing location shooting with see like perfect perfectly mixing location shooting and actual props actual ships actual things with CG and so few people are doing that and you know I think that's part of why his movies are so loaded with bonus features because he loves the process of movie making and he Mm -hmm. wants people to kind of celebrate that with him so he likes people to see everything that goes into making his movies both the practical and the digital and you know i've recently i kind of lamented when i bought avengers endgame a movie i love dearly i kind of lamented the fact that there aren't that many bonus features on that disc Mm -hmm. but then i thought to myself like how much of that movie was just shot on green screen it was just a bunch of vfx artists (laughs) Like, at a certain point, I don't really think there is that much I could learn from bonus features on that. But, like, Nolan, everything is so textured. There's so much practical, so many miniatures, so many sets, so many things that are captured physically in the real world. And then they're merged with the digital. And that's another reason I love him, because I feel like he like he did like he kind of gets the best used out of uh CG that way because it disappears it blends into the real stuff that he's shooting and I think the stuff ages like everything in this movie looks real like nine years later like Black Widow I I love that movie but that movie (laughs) looked when it when it was released Uh nine years later this movie looks immaculate God like 13 years later inception looks immaculate yeah like pretty much all of his movies like the only one of his movies i think maybe dated a little is uh batman begins because that's a little more of your standard studio movie i mean that was made at a time where they were shot on set still but there's a little more cg in that he wasn't quite as experienced working with uh, a movie on that scale yet Mm -hmm. so i think that's the only one that kind of looks a little dated
0: yeah also it's sorry i'm just a tangent but i just you brought batman begins i was thinking about the way gotham looks in batman begins versus the way gotham looks in yeah (laughs) it's like i was like oh right that looks like two entirely different cities because one in batman begins is i'm assuming mostly a set and uh i don't know know how much was shot in actual city in batman begins uh and then dark knights like just all chicago right i mean it's just all yeah
1: pretty much i mean (laughs) shot on real locations uh yeah i mean and it also looks great it's just it's
0: very different than batman Begin.
1: like yeah batman begin it's funny to think about the dark knight and dark knight rises and i mean i've done podcasts on both movies but it's like what happened to the narrows what yeah, happened the narrows- to the train <laughs> exactly like they just all disappeared why <laughs> does uh what uh wayne tower why does that look completely different <laughs> It is but funny. It's yeah. one of those things you yeah. just kind of have to deal with cuz at the yeah. end of the day yeah he uh, he mu- he prefers to do as much practically as possible and i mean I Say what that. you will but he's making like some he's making arguably the best-looking blockbusters out there.
0: Right. That's what I appreciate about Tenet more this time. I appreciate it. the second time I was like wow he did so much this practically and it looks so good like uh, i mean for god's sake they crashed a whole plane into a building because somebody was like you know, it would actually be cheaper just to crash an actual plane into that building. It's like, let's do it. Like, let's just go for it. And it looks good because it's like, you know, that's they actually did it. And there's so much of the uh, the effects because you would think more of it would be digital, I think, with the stuff playing with time and like things, you know, this and that. But, uh, yeah, so much of it's still practical, which I appreciate about stuff that Nolan does, because I mean, we need more people to do that uh, instead of just going like all green screen or all. um. I every fucking time I forget the name of this thing. The the the, the, the video screen backgrounds, uh, oh, the uh, sound stage oh, is gosh. called the sound stage or it's something. What like... is
1: that called? The thing that they've been <laughs> shooting all the Star Wars shows on. Yeah. The volume. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The volume. Thank you. Every damn time I forget what it's called because it's probably because it's called the volume and I can't uh, remember. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so I appreciate someone doing stuff for real, which is nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm still a big fan. I mean, Oppenheimer almost like reinvigorated my Nolan fandom because like I don't love yes. Dunkirk. I don't love Dunkirk, and I don't still love Tenet. Even though I like Tenet. I well, I just when
1: did yeah. you last watch Dunkirk?
0: One time I saw it in theater. I need to rewatch it again. <laughs> like,
1: uh, that's what that's what I would recommend watching again. That's uh, I mean, look, I'm biased. I love them all, but man, Dunkirk is just so good. Like the way i don't again like it's just a warm it's a simple war movie but the way he structures it and plays around with time it's just like fucks with your brain man
0: <laughs> yeah no i, I will rewatch like, it again at some point uh also uh,
1: dunkirk is the rare uh multi, like 100 million plus dollar blockbuster that's shorter than 2 hours
0: Oh, that's true yeah uh <laughs> so um uh what else do you want to say about interstellar i already feel like i feel bad i feel like i almost like said everything i want to say but i don't want to rush you if you have more stuff to say
1: about it yes it's funny that we talked about this whole thing with we talked about um like uh the uh the way uh, gargantua the black hole kind of uh warps time without mentioning the words the theory of relativity which is mainly a good thing because i'm not like i'm not a science kid so like i know the basics of these uh principles yeah. <laughs> but like if you ask me to elaborate on them i'm gonna sound like an idiot but <laughs> like we should just mention like these like this movie was literally built on the idea of we want to build re- we want to explore real science using a science fiction movie and like kip Thorne a uh is the physicist that was kind of the main scientific advisor for this movie and i just feel like we should at least give him a shout out I guess give Einstein a shout out because relativity is the whole shout reason. Out to Einstein. That. Shout out Great Einstein. in Oppenheimer.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, that part we didn't even mention it on the podcast, but that part in Oppenheimer when the taxi pulls off and he just kind of wanders out of the darkness, like, oh hey, what's going on here? <laughs> is so good.
0: Oh, it is good. So he pointed uh, out on yeah. Twitter and I was like, I forgot about that reveal of Einstein is walking out of the dark. Oh,
1: <laughs> Hayden and I lost it when we watched it again uh but yeah shout mm. out Einstein shout out Kip Thorne shout out to all the wonderful scientists doing everything you can to make this world a better place because I'm not doing anything I just went to film school <laughs> uh you know uh. little thing that I freaked out about uh mm-hmm. so Murph uh, the bu- I mean of course the bookshelf is like the key to the movie that's what they're right. uh, communicating through with gravity and I just thought it was interesting I uh a bunch of the like Nolan's like you know like any great auteur he puts a lot of great background details in his movies and uh the book has basically got a bottom a bunch of like say the book the shelf has a bunch of like books that have to do with that time and uh like uh the time machine is one of them on there a wrinkle Mm -hmm. in time a charlotte's (laughs) web which i guess is his way of saying time is kind of like a web we're all caught up in I mm-hmm. uh, even had the collected works of Arthur Conan Doyle which I think is funny because oh. obviously he's uh, the creator of Sherlock Holmes great detective and like the whole point of the bookshelf is they're trying to solve this thing much like they're kind of scientific detectives of their own I thought that was a cheeky little detail but mm-hmm. listen <laughs> I lost it because in the past year, I have actually uh, taken the dive and read Stephen King's The Stand. And so I noticed on this viewing that there was a copy of The Stand on her bookshelf. And I flipped out because that book is all about humanity making its final stand in the face of uh, extinction. Ah. And and I thought that was that was a cool little touch.
0: Yeah, no, I didn't catch any of those books. I'm glad, again, I'm glad you're here to pick up on this little detail that I missed.
1: (laughs) This is something that you only pick up on when you actually, like, try to learn a lot about a movie. And that's something I don't do that often because if I, like, obsess over a movie, I run the risk of kind of, like, wearing myself out on it. I'm actually on the verge of doing that with Interstellar right now because I have taken such a deep dive into this movie over the past week. So I'm kind of glad I get to take some time away from it. But usually, with the great movies, if I do that, I'll come back to them like a year later. Like I actually went through a little Interstellar phase about a year ago when I got the yeah. 4K. Like I watched mm-hmm. it a couple times then. And uh, another fun little thing I'll bring up: it's funny how uh, Matt Damon and Jessica Chastain are both in this movie about uh, space, and then just a year later, they were both also in The Martian.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. And Matt Damon playing a very different, uh, it's, it's so funny. That it's similar, but different. He's stranded by himself or, you know, stranded on that planet. And he's not an asshole in that one.
1: <laughs> so, he's not the bad guy. He's actually, uh, he's the smartest one in the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I did think about that. I forgot to bring it up, but I did think about it. This is funny. That's kind of like weirdly parallels to the Martian, which is right after, but, um, yeah. And,
1: Interesting thing about that, uh, I actually heard this theory brought up about Inter- or, uh, Oppenheimer recently how part of the reason that everyone in that movie has a face you'd recognize is just because there are so many characters in the movie that it would just help to have a face you recognize whenever someone pops back oh. up.
0: Well, that makes sense, yeah. like,
1: <laughs> But then I thought of that, that's kind of the Martian, too, because that movie has so many characters yeah that it yeah. really helps that everyone that pops up is someone you recognize. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought of that with these uh auteurs making their big sci-fi movies. Like That's a, uh yeah yeah.
0: It's a Sorry, good point I had saying? not thought of. But it does help when you can actually recognize I'm like, oh there's so and so and there's this actor and there's this actress. Like that is helpful. Uh unless they're all very unique looking character actors. <laughs> Otherwise I'm like I'd be lost probably. Um
1: uh, you know, here's, you know, i oh, I'll, i I know something we can talk about. Uh, I, I've all, I've long been curious about this. Uh, I don't know why I've never seeked it out earlier, but, um, uh, were you aware that this was, uh, actually going to be a Spielberg film originally? I no, I
0: had no idea about that. So
1: yeah, uh, Jonathan Nolan was writing the script for Spielberg mm-hmm. and then, uh, when, when Amblin left, uh, Paramount and uh moved to the disney lot uh he had to uh i think because it was a property owned by paramount he had to give it up Mm -hmm. and that's when uh nolan came on because apparently he he and his brother would always kind of bounce ideas off each other based on what they're working on and Christopher was always kind of just like jonathan said that he could sense that he was a little jealous that he didn't get to work on this one so (laughs) i think it's cool that he ended up getting to work on it after all um Anyway, uh I have always I've long been curious how it changed when it went from being a Spielberg film to being a Nolan film. And there was actually a great article I read on Den of Geek that was kind of a write-up of the uh the original Jonathan Nolan draft. I now I'm sure it probably would have uh, changed on its way to production, but man, it's funny saying this about a movie that I would consider one of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Man, I would really I would love to see this other version. <laughs> i think it would have been a great time so i'll just give you a brief rundown okay. for anyone who's curious it was originally going the openings the uh, dust bowl kind of leading to an apocalypse was the same thing lots of that stuff was the same mm-hmm. uh no bookshelf i think murph was a son in that one and not the daughter mm-hmm. and um so anyway he finds i think it's a drone or a landing probe and the coordinates on that are what lead them to ness so not the coordinates in the bookcase oh, and okay. basically the mission is to go through a wormhole to find to look at one planet specifically instead of three and when they get there uh it's an ice planet much like the one that uh, dr man is on they uh find out that it, they find out it's not inhabitable or i don't know maybe it is but they find that the Chinese have already been there and they've set up a little colony. Uh, But but it's been a bit... But um, they never actually moved people there because I think the Chinese government fell apart before they could get any uh, plan together to start moving people there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, stuff on Earth is pretty grim. (laughs) And... uh, Uh But... (laughs) It's still populated by these Chinese robots that are... uh, Proceed to try and hunt down and kill our all our protagonists.
0: It's a very different movie
1: now. So <laughs> did you ever robot. play uh Alien Isolation? Oh my god.
0: Yes, I love that game. Even though it scared the shit,
1: it's terrifying out of. <laughs> game. Do you remember the working Joe's from that game? The robots. Also terrifying. Yes, yes. <laughs> This is like that's what I was picturing when I was reading. This was like a bunch of Chinese working Joe's are just coming after you, and it like, <laughs> like as I mean, obviously, I love horror movies as much as I love sci-fi. So that would have been a great. I would have loved that.
0: That is uh, interesting. Very different movie though. That becomes a very different movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and then so they they use a gravity this like device that's been built to kind of harness gravity so gravity and wormholes still figure into this plot as much as uh the apocalypse and uh finding another planet and they use that to escape the planet and then like through a series of events they find their way to i think uh I don't know if they go into the black hole I think TARS goes into the black hole but uh none of our protagonists do but they find oh. a space station that has been constructed by more of these Chinese robots and because <laughs> of the time dilation caused by the black hole they have built it over a span of like millennia
0: Jesus okay <laughs> but
1: basically I think this is a place where humanity is going to move to and I, I kind of forget the specifics of what happened after here. But basically, basically, uh, Cooper, the McConaughey character, makes his way back to Earth and finds that his long been abandoned. But he manages to find a way to escape. And I don't think he, I think he meets up with one of the great descendants of his uh, kid, but he doesn't actually get to see his child again. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of sad. Uh, but there's another kind of uh time traveling uh, paradox mind-bending shit in that movie in that V uh, one of the astronauts tries to escape uh, I think maybe the space station they're on using a probe or a or a drone. they try to use something. And it turns out that that is the very uh, drone or probe that landed on Earth and led uh, McConaughey's character to NASA at the beginning of the movie.
0: Wow, okay. <laughs> so obviously <laughs> wow. yeah.
1: a much different movie, but just imagine this movie directed by Spielberg. Like how much fun would that Maybe it wouldn't be one of the best movies ever made like Interstellar is, but it could have been. And if not, it could have still been a really good movie in uh, Spielberg's filmography.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, at first I was like, this feels like such a Nolan movie. I can't imagine anyone else doing, even Spielberg, but even some of the emotional stuff I could see him handling uh, pretty well. And he's done a bunch of sci-fi, so give us sci-fi. So, um, that'd be, well, I'm so glad you brought that up because I had no idea any of that, of that alternate version, but that does sound very interesting, like with the them versus robots at the end and building this whole colony that's been built inside the black hole or like the wormhole for that's just yeah wow i had no idea <laughs> so man
1: oh man uh one more thing sorry one more mm-hmm. thing i'll talk about um one of the things i love about nolan's so films maybe it's just because i have a case of adhd mm-hmm. but i love the inner i love his uh proclivity for intercutting particularly during his climaxes it's yeah. so like obviously yeah. the one to beat like the all-time great one is inception, inception, the way got say, three... inception
0: to me is like i don't i'm, I'm I reckon... not an expert but it feels like it's like a master class in intercutting between like three different things going on sorry to cut you off there but yeah i just feel like that's, that's like
1: no i mean inception that's like my favorite climax of all time just like propulsive non-stop cutting between three layers of the dream and it's what's happening in each one of them is exciting Never mm-hmm. mind having to go down to uh, oh, wait, four layers. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> four layers because you have to go down to uh, Limbo, God. Oh, yeah. Inception. Jesus. How good is Inception? It's, it's, I, think it's, I
0: think it's my favorite Nolan movie. You really do. Yes.
1: It's a great one. <laughs> I'm tempted really to watch it after this. <laughs> Um, anyway, the inner cutting in this, this is definitely something that, uh, Hayden makes fun of because he thinks that it's like a big step down from that, but I don't know. I kind of love that the climax of this is, uh, it's, uh, them trying to escape the black hole. I think it's the fight with Matt Damon and them escape, trying to escape from the black hole, which is when McConaughey sacrifices himself to the black hole so that, uh, Hathaway can escape. Oh, but yeah. it's that intercut with Chastain in her bedroom looking at the bookcase. Topher Grace is waiting for the is waiting to warn her if the anti science maniac is coming back to uh, <laughs> beat him up again. Hmm. And it literally, you know, I recently rewatched uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Have you seen that? I,
0: I have seen Sunshine once a very long time ago, but I remember liking it a lot. I've been meaning to rewatch it for. Like years. Like I've been ready to rewatch it forever. Yeah.
1: Oh god. That's that's another amazing sci-fi movie, another one of my favorites. And the that's another one where their uh, one element of the movie is criticized, and that one it's the climax because it's this really deep, thoughtful science fiction movie that kind of turns into a slasher film. But what <laughs> I love about it is that it uh it turns into basically this like the slash film section basically comes down to a literal battle between science and uh religious fanaticism Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: and I kind of learn what I kind of love about this is that this movie turns into a literal battle between science and ignorance because you basically (laughs) got Murph using science using her knowledge God we've used that word science so many times Not as much it's as I would think for
0: an interstellar podcast, but no, I like, uh, yeah, I science. try,
1: I always try to use that uh, to switch up words in my vocabulary, science, knowledge, intelligence, but I always end up just using the same words over and over again. Uh, but anyway, it literally turns into a battle between science and ignorance. Cause you've got Murph trying to use her will, her uh, wits, her intelligence to solve these, uh, gravitational anomalies in the bookcase mm-hmm. while you've got basically her brother threatening her away from there and he's like the whole the threat during that section of the climax and it's just oh god i kind of got lost in what i'm trying to say but I, was, I think the climax of this is so good and i love the intercutting and i love how that uh again if you're kind of adult if you kind of uh got a little adhd like i do intercutting can go a long way and he kind of took that lesson. That's another reason I'd recommend Dunkirk, because he basically turned that whole movie into one giant intercut climax.
0: That is that is true. You remember that about it, that it keeps jumping back and forth. And I feel like I, that's why I probably would like it more this time. I feel like I can get my bearings on that movie and what he was actually doing until you know, like the end of the movie almost, where I was like, oh, that's what he's doing. Um, yeah, if
1: you can't wrap your head around it, it's, um, yeah, I can see that one being a little frustrating.
0: I feel like then I it was very clear once I either maybe read afterwards or got near the end. I was like, oh okay, now I get it. So I think a second view would help a lot. That I'm like, I understand what he's doing more in that movie. But I do think intercutting kind is of really good in Interstellar. I don't think you can top Inception though. For no, <laughs> for you that. can't. He does it really like well that... in Dark Knight too. And thinking about all the intercutting, like
1: oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like like there's, there's amazing... an what yeah
1: there's an entire section of the climax of the dark Knight that doesn't even have anything to do with batman it's just a bunch of people on a ferry and right. their fate pretty much hangs in their hands like it's 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 so incredible god nolan's just so good guys he's just the best really good.
0: i am glad that uh I, I think oppenheimer i think proves if there was any doubt because i think tenet made people little I mean, Tenet was weird because we said it came out during the pandemic. It didn't do that well. But how was it ever going to do that well? But I think people were kind of like shakier on he left the studio. But if he can open Oppenheimer, I know it had the Barbenheimer thing with it. But I think even if he took Barbie away from it, I think it does well. I think it just proves his name sells a movie like his, he made his movies, event movies, no matter what they're about. Like, people will show up for Christopher Nolan because he's given them a lot of quality over and over and over. Uh, a lot of goodwill from the Dark Knight, uh, the Batman movie especially. So, I feel like Oppenheimer was like, "Well, wow, this guy really can open anything as a blockbuster. A three-hour three R-rated biopic about Oppenheimer. Like, there's no... Like, I didn't think we lived in a universe anymore where that would succeed to the level it's succeeding. So, I'm very happy. I don't know what he's doing next. Do you know what he's supposed to be working on next? Is he setting up? Uh,
1: no. So, he's... um. What I've learned recently is he takes one project at a time. So okay. he basically puts all his energy and focus into what he's working on. So maybe he has some ideas, but I don't think he's announced anything yet. Like he's probably okay. just coming down from Oppenheimer and figuring out what he's going to work on. Yeah.
0: And also, so back up to your story about the whole Jonathan Nolan script thing. I was curious this time because he was a Warner's Warner Brothers guy for so long. I was like, wait, this is a Paramount movie? i was so confused when this was paramount
1: but yeah oh so the story behind that is uh yeah i think it was a project it was at amblin which was at paramount and or i guess it was a paramount property and but because warner or nolan was at warner uh he was loyal to them but he really wanted to do this so he was able to talk them into forming a co-production on it and uh they um i don't know if you remember this but uh paramount in or like i don't know the specifics you know again like mm-hmm. studios deals rights i don't know the specifics of that i'm not a uh not an intellectual property lawyer but um basically while working out this deal where they could co-produce interstellar uh paramount i think got the rights to make another friday the 13th movie oh, uh-huh. uh that is obvious <laughs> that obviously never came to fruition right <laughs> and uh paramount got the rights to have a stake in a future south park movie oh, so basically okay. a couple rights changed hands in order to fund this one i think that's partially why we were able to get do you remember that old friday the 13th box set the one in the like tin case
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. The one that was really I expensive for a while. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's the only reason we were able to get that, because they came together over Interstellar. So they were <laughs> able to kind of work together and put a box set with all the Paramount and Warner Brothers titles out. Wow. All right. Anyway, lots. Anyway, yeah. Fascinating story behind uh, them coming together to work on Interstellar.
0: That no, that is I had no idea about any of that. This has all been very interesting. So, um well, I do. I realize I do have to wrap up soon because I have to eat and I'm going to see Talk to Me tonight. I really have to wrap up. I have to get the podcast edited. So I really have to, I really do have to wrap up. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you,
1: no, you, you need to forcibly end this because I'll talk about Interstellar as long as I can. <laughs>
0: uh, no, I think we both agree. It's great. You think it's a masterpiece? I'm not quite there yet, but
1: I, I, I think, I mean, I, I
0: guess I could call it a masterpiece. I don't, maybe, I very, I don't know. I'm weirdly hesitant. Yeah. I was like, I'm weirdly hesitant to bestow these big, uh, things upon movies i don't know why like where i'm like i don't know but i i do really love this movie i like i find it i think it's great so um yeah i don't know i it's very popular people seem to love it so uh i will say if you ever yeah
1: (laughs) if you ever like find a retro screening of it near you preferably an imax or 70 millimeter because they bring it back surprisingly the uh our local imax theater actually brings it back kind of regularly so if you ever find it, even if it's not IMAX, you ever see a theater doing like a retro screening of Interstellar? Uh, you should go watch it because big screen will only do this movie more favors.
0: I would love to. I was like, man, I really hope somehow this gets like put out again in IMAX, especially or just in a theater, I would go see it again um, for the visuals, for the sound. So I, w- I will be there. Well, if they put it back out, I'll be there. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's great. I'm glad we got to talk about it. You brought some very interesting things to the table that I had no idea about um which i appreciate i'm glad i did uh
1: yeah i i did more research on this one than i've done for any podcast in a while because i was terrified of being unprepared for this one lots of I movies i yeah. can just talk my way around i don't need to do any research but this one uh this is a dense movie i'm gonna i did not want to sound like an idiot for this one
0: <laughs> no no i don't think he did uh i don't think he did at all Thank so you. i think uh it was very good um Okay, well that's that's that. I'm glad we got to talk about this movie. I'm sorry we couldn't even talk about it longer, but I feel like we did a good a good job. So we did uh, a good job, yes. Uh I feel like it covered everything I could think to talk about. So uh anything you want to plug that you're gonna be on anytime soon, or just you wanna plug your normal so people can follow you and all that stuff?
1: Uh, I mean I've been on a cup I've been on an episode of Film Feast recently. Didn't really talk about anything, just kind of uh just kind of hung out. Kind of hung bullshit. out with the boys. Uh, uh, i was on an episode of schlock and awe again with, with
0: me <laughs> yep.
1: recently We're doing a lot of podcasting together Hane. lately haven't we? we have been yeah <laughs> i'm your boy right now <laughs> uh but yeah we talked about barbenheimer on that so uh go give that a listen uh find me on uh twitter i think my username on there is uh hollywood superstar kyle chandler uh-huh. uh, you can find me at uh letterboxed i think my username on there is angelo snaps provolone <laughs> uh because i'm uh i heard that was the name of stallone's character in the movie oscar and i haven't gotten that name out of my head since watching it so i had to do this as a way to kind of exercise <laughs> that demon
0: uh-huh <laughs> and wait is it is anything else you want to plug or was that uh, it? No, or...
1: sorry yeah yeah uh it's the uh <laughs> dr man just blew up the endurance uh, yeah so. I, I don't know
0: if I, I think people know you usually watch the movie that we're talking about while you do the podcast he's watching your stellar right now um yeah I, was,
1: I have to have it playing in case i uh, forget something yeah <laughs> so, uh no that i think that's uh that's all i got to plug
0: okay uh so um yeah you know for me the usual stuff you could follow you know, twitter at film feast pod um follow uh well the podcast at god damn it <laughs> jesus <laughs> oh boy good thing we're stopping i've lost my train of thought okay you can follow the <laughs> podcast on twitter film Piece pod follow me on twitter maplate 87 follow me in the podcast uh, yeah me and the podcast on instagram film Piece, all one word um and that's it we'll see you next time bye everybody